Oh, hey there, freaks. It's your boy, Marty Bent, here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down again with Justin Moon uh, from the Mooniversity. Uh, he was in town and had a, a long layover, so I invited him over to my spot. We uh, drank some whiskey, drank an incredible amount of whiskey, and caught up. Uh, last time I talked to Justin, he was just starting uh, Biddle Boot Camp, which has turned into Mooniversity. Um, since our last discussion, a lot has happened in Justin's life. Uh, he's been building a lot of cool shit. Um, a couple projects he's working on in particular, Junction, the BitBoy, uh, in Mooniversity in particular. We, we talked about uh, a lot in this one. Um, it's a great app. It's always fun getting together with Justin. Uh, a truly kindred spirit in the Bitcoin world. I'm very uh, very happy that you freaks get to, to listen in on this conversation we had because it was truly... Just uh, two guys palling around, you know? That's what we're here to do. And if you're not palling around, you better be stacking sats, and you better be using the Cash App. This episode's brought to you by the Cash App. If you're not using the Cash App, what the hell are you doing? Uh, you download the Cash App. You use the code stacking sats. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, one word. You're going to get $5. $5 is going to go to Al's Lacrosse, a charity very near and dear to our hearts. And then you're going to get all the functionalities of the Cash App, and the list just keeps getting longer of what you can do with it. So you already know you can stack sats, you can buy Bitcoin, you can sell Bitcoin, you can send Bitcoin from your app to a personal wallet, from personal wallet to the app. On top of that, you have the Boost program where you get your debit card, you go anywhere Visa is accepted, you put on your uh, partner Boost, you go to where that merchant is, say it be Whole Foods, you save your 5% of Whole Foods, hey, you need to go get a coffee, you put on your coffee Boost, you go save a dollar there. Boost program's incredible, they're always switching Merchants in and out, and then uh, they started teasing it last week. It looks like you're going to be able to buy stocks in the Cash App soon, partial stocks at that. Um, so they started rolling it out to uh, a few users, it looks like, towards the end of last week. And uh, so if you don't have the functionality yet, I believe it will be there soon. So use the code StackingSats. Go to your local app store and download the Cash App today. This episode is also brought to you by Casa Freaks. How confident are you in your key security? How protected are your keys from disasters, physical attacks, and yourself? Uh, you got to protect uh, your keys from yourself. You are your key's biggest enemies. Our friends at Casa have drummed up one of the smartest and most secure ways to huddle your Bitcoin. There's no KYC, no altcoins, no percentage fees on your Bitcoin. There's no one standing between you and your keys. Uh, engage with Casa and get the peace of mind for your stash with the world's one of the world's most secure multi-seeks. Use the code TFTC to get up to $250 off your Casa membership uh, or hit their team up directly at membership at team.casa for a free demo. That's membership at team.casa. Email them, ask them what the hell they're doing, put them through your hardest offset questions, um, and then ask them to go through their product. Their product has many packages, all memberships, come with a full set of hardware wallets for your multi-sig. Uh, you get the node, Faraday bags, early access to all future cost of products and for bigger hodlers for more serious hodlers uh, the diamond and platinum memberships net you 24 7 vip service dedicated client advisor and custom a, a dedicated client advisor and custom onboarding and opsec plan so go to keys.casa check them out if you guys do get a casa membership make sure you use the code tftc you're going to get up to 250 dollars off and i hope you guys enjoy this episode with justin again it's uh it's always fun getting getting together with Justin sitting down is a long one, a long rip. We got pretty cosmic. So enjoy. Damn. 
from the cream. What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here on a rainy, scary October Wednesday night with a good friend. Happy to have him back in the studio. Uh, Justin Moon, welcome back. Good to be here. It's good to have you back, man. We I'm, were... I'm tempted to make that sound of yours, but it feels like a violation. I'll leave that to you. <laughs> you can do it. You can, I, I encourage people to try. <laughs> that, that was good. That was a good first attempt. It, it, you have to get higher up in the falsetto than a man is normally comfortable getting. Yeah, you have to be... Uh, well, I would argue. I would argue that the higher in the falsetto that you can get, uh, the manly you are. Right? Yeah, you can't be exactly. afraid of a, of musical talent. Exactly. Um, what did you think of this critique we were just watching here? Uh, it was it was good. I mean, there are a lot of flaws that Bitcoin has, uh, but there's uh, and he, he hits a few of them. Yeah. So let's describe what we're watching. We're watching the Real Vision Gold versus Bitcoin Week right now, and we were talking about uh, something that we will get into more heavily later in this conversation: multi-sig setups. Um, but, uh, Justin was walking me through some multi-sig setups that he's been working with and it, uh, brought me back to this video, which I watched earlier this morning on real vision, gold and Bitcoin, the monetary systems, navigational beacons. And it was an interview with Simon, uh, Mikhailovich, who is the founder of the Bullion Reserve and he's a huge gold proponent, uh, and, uh, not a, not as big of a, as a fan of Bitcoin and he had some good critiques, but uh, I, think I think so. This is the thing I often see with like uh, I don't want to say good cr critics because I'm not sure if there is one, but like at least the better critics, uh, like they'll say something true, right? So he says like, what would people use as a money? The thing that everybody knows about and is familiar with, or something that very few people know about that is more complex and fewer people you know are familiar with it. And it's like, well, clearly they'd use the thing everyone knows. And then so he's like, therefore, gold is better than Bitcoin. And it's like true statement non sequitur right it's like yeah, well maybe it's better now i mean it is better now if you need to settle like a huge transaction volume like it's probably easier to do it in gold maybe especially with certain counterparties like a a, a, a government or something it's like they're going to be more comfortable working with gold but that doesn't mean it's going to be true in the future so like he's making a present argument about bitcoin and trying to write it off for all future when the thing went from zero to ten thousand in, in one goddamn decade why doesn't anybody give Bitcoin a chance? Why can't they just give Bitcoin a chance? I mean, it's the blessing. It's like there's, there's a great quote by like Paul Graham where it's like, uh, what is it? There's uh, like the best startup ideas uh, sound so crazy that the people who are most threatened by them don't realize it until it's too late, right? Like hotels thought Airbnb was a joke until it was a juggernaut. Uh, same thing with taxi cars, cabs and Uber uh, with... Uh, uh, you know, mainframes and uh, Microsoft, this sort of thing. It's like you have to be crazy enough to actually, you have to be so crazy that you are actually able to get a leeway. And Bitcoin is exactly that. Like 10 years later, people still think it's crazy and that's cover. Yeah, no, and it's, um, it's fun to be one of the crazy ones, but you keep going down uh, to keep checking off Simon's um, critiques. Another one was the, uh, again, with multisig, the, the $5 wrench attack, like he, he uh, proclaimed that gold owners don't have to worry about physical harm because their gold is Well, he started vault. with banks, which is like a very true point. It's like that's one of the great things banks do is they don't... Custody your money. They custody your money. They don't give money. They don't, you know, they can sort of, they can sort of be there and help out when someone's tortured. At least that's all the, how the movies all portray it, right? Like the bank managers, there's always these good guys, right? Like the banking lobby's somewhere involved there in these critiques, but like that's people's perception at least. And it's like, yeah, it's probably true. It's better to have that than to just have like a bunch of diamonds like trailing you as you walk down 
it's the streets in Brooklyn, right? Like that's, I'd rather have the banks than the bank uh, receipts than the diamonds. But, uh, and he goes on to say, well, then gold is similar. You can have it stored away in another country. And he's like, but Bitcoin, you have to memorize it in your head. It's like, wait, no, you don't. You and can. This is, this you is can. one of the things is like, you, you, they'll say intelligent things. And then all of a sudden it's like this one thing that's like, this is like 101 level understanding. The whole point of Bitcoin is that it's easier to physically transport. It's like this, the analogy Satoshi gave is like, imagine a uh, precious metal, right? A gray metal, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that uh, is l like gold in every way, except for one thing, you can send it over the internet. Like that is the differentiator in his mind. Uh, and so to say it's easier to physically get gold into a foreign country than, than it is Bitcoin, it's like, what? It's absurd on its face. Yeah. And then, well, that's... I want to give Simon some leeway here. I mean, he's he's a gold bug. Gold is his uh, is his wheelhouse, and what he focuses on is probably not as uh, educated about Bitcoin multi-sig setups and the way in which you could set up your Bitcoin security so that you are less susceptible to. But see, this is what I wonder when he says something like that: that you cannot. That he, when he basically claims root claim, gold is easier to physically transport than Bitcoin. Like that was his claim right there. Is he uneducated? Does he not actually, does he know, does he believe that's false and lie? Or is he, does he actually believe that? Because if he actually believes that, he's incredibly ill-informed. And that just speaks to, again, how crazy the Bitcoin idea is and how this crazy thing just sort of somehow shields it and allows the sort of the right people to understand it like in a series over decades. And, yeah. and this guy, this brilliant guy, I'm sure, still is, you know, like kindergarten level. <laughs> I want to say kindergarten level. If he doesn't know, if he doesn't know that Bitcoin is easier to transport physically than gold, I think it's this is like the this is like top three thing. Yeah. Like scarcity and that are the two big things. Yeah. What's the quote? Um, basically, it'll be hard to convince a man of something that hurts his paycheck. It's exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so that's my point. Is like, uh, I mean, if I were him, uh, if I were him, I would. Probably, I mean, I, I, it would be hard to see the value of Bitcoin when you're, I mean, it's like us and a shitcoin coming. It's like, we're not, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not the best person to judge that. We're highly biased, right? <laughs> Are we? I mean, yeah, dude, they're all scams, bro. I, that's, I agree. So like, that's not a, that's not like, you know, in some crazy world where there is an invention that beats Bitcoin, I don't think it's going to happen but like in, in that crazy world like we would be pretty blind because we're like heavily biased in one way and i think similarly he, he's probably the same with gold it's like hey man it's worked for millennia it's going to keep working like it's a val it's a it's a sensible claim it is and actually so i can say this now because by the time this is recorded and posted the episode will have aired but that's what safe and i talked about on the real vision episode and safe even acknowledged that too he's like hey the, the biggest competitor to Bitcoin right now is a successful gold standard. It's got the Lindy. It's got the history. Um, if, if the gold standard or if a, uh, the gold standard doesn't get its shit together, the people who run under a gold standard get their shit together. So if people were able to get their shit together and create a viable gold standard in today's day and age, safe can see that, yeah, that, hey, that may kill Bitcoin in the long run. But... Um, I'm not putting safe words in safe's mouth. This is what I believe. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. That's uh, why we Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, which is 
it's uh it is interesting when you like as a bitcoiner hearing somebody who wrote the bitcoin standard be like yeah bitcoin can be be beaten by the gold standard like you wrote the funny thing is on a personal level these gold people are the most similar to us of anyone in the world they're they're basically us but a generation older and a generation grayer you know like kind of the same demographics kind of the same walks of life why can't we be friends (laughs) exactly it's like we we should really be looking for that to them for like you know life support it's like what's the next 20 years of my life gonna look i'm actually hopeful that uh this is starting to happen i at least me personally i can speak for myself again um i have been like a peter schiff gold bug hater but then it's like hey you guys are actually fighting for sound money hard money too and i think that's admirable and i do think over time uh we'll be able to convince you because i I do uh believe that you're they're the only ones that care they're the only ones that care uh of anybody and so it's like every time you know ron paul ends up looking uh you know going out on uh, some litecoin event or something it's like hey man just give us he doesn't he doesn't get this part of it this is a little detail he gets so much of the rest of it though well then uh shout out to people like warren davidson exactly man that guy fucking legend that guy ripped it just putting it all out there, yeah. dude. Talking about Bitcoin, guns, everything, man. Yeah. Uh, to hear the candor of um, of a politician like that. In the first, like, 10 minutes, all of a sudden, he's like, they're like, well, you know, how'd you get into digital cash? And he's like, well, you know, back in the day, I was a big fan of digital cash. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Elected official? Uh, digital cash? And he, and he keeps going. It's like he's talking about the destroyers when the destroyers come. Uh, he's... He, he, like Pierre sort of ironically asked him, like, well, what round would be money in a world where, like, we, you know, we use barter? What, what, what ammo round? What gun round? And he took that, like, and he ran with it, like, for like, two minutes <laughs> actually seriously addressing that conversation. Like, if you're talking about the four, four, two, and there's a nine. And it's like, <laughs> like, the one will pierce the man, the other one will obliterate the man. Is that fifth column? Uh, huh? Would you consider him fifth column? I don't know what fifth column means. Fifth column is uh, actors within the government or a corporate setting. Uh, not acting against. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he's acting for us. Like, yeah, I mean, it's acting for us it's and against the, the will of the system. He doesn't the, own the Bitcoin. System. He doesn't own Bitcoin. He clearly would if he weren't elected. So it is like, you know, it seems like the guy's sort of taken a personal. Uh, I mean, he's, 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 uh, he's taken a sacrifice probably. Because uh, he's been interested in it for years, uh, yeah. and he's he's you know trying to go and uh, improve the regulatory environment for us. That's I mean yeah, a little bit. Huge shout out, huge shout out to Warren. Exactly. Um, but I don't know much about politics, so this is I, <laughs> this is the extent of it. If it, if it comes on noted, I, I can I can <laughs> I can converse on it. But basically, I hear Tulsi's around or something. I don't know <laughs> all the names I, I know. I don't. I haven't watched any of the. Dem debates or any of the debates. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, I was just thinking like last year, so we did the first podcast that's, a year ago. That's exactly what I was just going to say. What the hell's, how's your year been? It's been, yeah, so, so, uh, Justin and I were, were talking about it before we hit record. It was probably almost exactly a year since we last talked. You were yeah. before, uh, or while we were talking, you were on your way to a lightning network conference here in New York. And now you're on your way to a lightning conference in, in Europe. Yeah. Um, so it's prescient that you're here now. Yeah, it's sort of yeah, it's sort of interesting. I was I was thinking back like, what was lightning like back then, and and kind of what's it like now, and uh, and yeah, a lot a lot's changed. Uh, uh, 
I sort of... Not even Lightning in particular, dude. What the hell's been going on with Battle Boot Camp? Like, you've been building dope hardware. You're working on this junction thing. Like, what has your life been yeah, like Yeah, we'll go into that. So last I year... I want to learn about Justin Moon, not about the Lightning Network, not about Bitcoin. How yeah, the hell yeah. have you been, bro? Man, it's just tales. You got, I want, I'm, I'm going to give you some tales. All right. So, uh, so yeah, like a year ago, I decided to... So I was trying to figure out where my role would be in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Because, you know, it's like uh, there wasn't... like. A, so I have sort of like a missionary zeal about how I do things. It's like I want to, I want to, when I hear about something that's like really important like this, I just have to participate. I can't just like buy coins and sit on the sideline. So, uh, so yeah, I was trying to figure out what, uh, what would be interesting. And I was just learning the technical details of Bitcoin and found it kind of difficult. Like I'd just be oftentimes like reading code and uh, guessing what it did. It's like uh, I took Jimmy Song's course and it was great and that's about all there was. And so, yeah, I started this class called Biddle Bootcamp. Uh, at the time, I did not realize Biddle was an Ethereum thing. And after about three months, I really <laughs> regretted the name choice, but it's like too late now. Uh, no, you co-opted so it. It's a good co-op. Co-op. A little bit, but that name sucks, man. Uh, I, it's got to be, it's gotta be really hard for SEO that. purposes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's like, and no one can pronounce it. There's Justin from Bugle Bootcamp. <laughs> On noted one time, they were like, uh, yeah, they were talking with Stefan Levera, who took my class, and uh, they called it Shittle Shit Camp. <laughs> like, oh man. I was, I was Stefan Levera's first advertiser. I think I was we, the first person who ever contributed to Pierre Richard's open source project. They called it Shittle Shit Camp. We, uh, <laughs> I we, need a new name, man. We uh, we read a Biddle Bootcamp ad on Tales from the Crypt as well. I did. Let's do a free ad now. Um, where can we find you? What can well, we do? So, so this is the thing is like, uh, so, so I, I started with this Biddle Bootcamp, right? And uh, what was surprising is that a lot of the people who signed up weren't programmers. I was expecting programmers to teach them about Bitcoin. It was more like Bitcoiners who want to learn about programming. So I just sort of like uh, lowered the expectations in the material, material somewhat. And so basically in the, in the summer, I ended up making like a learn to code class uh, where it's like zero to basically zero to being able to communicate with your full node using Python in the command line, uh, which I think any Bitcoiner should learn. So this is Mooniversity. I like that name a lot better. Mooniversity.io. A lot better. That's going to be a, a, a Titan someday. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Mooniversity.io, if you want to learn to code, like that's what I created. It's pretty cool. Like when I... So I've been building a project recently, and I use this editor called Visual Studio uh, Code. An editor is like Microsoft Word if you ever write prose. Uh, an editor does that for code. And You're not doing Sublime, dude? No. I mean, I usually use Vim, but like when you're doing website stuff, it's hard to use Vim. So, uh, so, uh, so the, the thing is, is that when you're learning to code, one of the hardest things is setting up this environment. Setting up your text editor, setting up your terminal. It's uh, for the layman. It's called the IDE, correct? Yeah, the I, the integrated developer environment. Yeah, you're you're really flexing here, Marty. <laughs> You've been on Code Academy or something. <laughs> really impressed with yourself. I may have used to work for. A so so yeah. The, uh, so the hard thing is you have to get all this shit set up, and it's it makes it not fun. So what I did is I basically create an environment that I use, this Visual Studio Code, really popular in a Linux environment. And this environment is running a full node, and it's all in the browser. It's like one-click button. You get this like real programmer's environment uh, in your browser. And by the end of it, so we do a couple things. It's like we implement the Bitcoin monetary policy in Python. So when you're learning a for loop, like how to, how to do a uh, statement repeated times, the repetition we're doing this problem is like, well, we're going to divide the issuance rate until it hits one Satoshi. When it drops below Satoshi, it's like, 
well, that's uh, the end of the, uh, the policy. And so it's like the question is, well, how many happenings are there? And we, like, we write a little computer program that can answer this. It's kind of cool. And this is a good tangent fact we could go on right now. There will actually never be 21 million Bitcoin. A little short of that. Right, a little and, short. And, and the, the, the program will actually produce this. Like we keep a tally of how much. So it's like, it's a really cool, like this is like the second program you ever write. And it like, uh, one thing you notice is like, God damn, the Bitcoin monetary policy is front loaded, you know? It's like we can print out what it is like today, and it's like, oh, what is it, 80% or 85%? I saw a tweet uh, earlier tonight, the 18th million, the 18 millionth Bitcoin will be mined, uh, I believe, within the next month yeah, so or that's... two. So we only have three million to go after that. So yeah. uh, you are six-sevenths of the way there. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, right. So that's... That's it's, it's a cool thing to like actually have that experience writing code one of your first times. And so some of the other things we do is we like pull data off coin market cap and try to say like what was the most volatile day in Bitcoin's history. And we write a little program that can parse a CSV. Now that's valuable, like being able to parse these spreadsheets and shit from Python. That's really, so it's like a real world skill that uh, is useful. And, uh, and then we learn how to like communicate with your full note, how to like create a transaction, how to sign a transaction, and how to broadcast a transaction. I'm sure... Uh using Python to scrape that data is a lot better than MATLAB. I think so, yeah. Python's just great. One of the things that's so nice about it is it's like the lingua, it's like the, the lingua, lingua franca of programmers, that and like JavaScript. Here's a good tangent too. So this is something I'm curious of and I actually have to talk about on Rabbit Hole Recap tomorrow, so I really want to get your opinion on. Electrum just announced that they're going to release a lightning implementation written in Python. Mm -hmm. And I wrote an been about it like hey this is pretty cool python as you're describing seems to be a pretty popular powerful programming language yeah. that people are using right now so i wrote like hey this maybe this will be a boon to uh people developing on top of lightning network and I had a couple people come back at me and say python may not be a, a good implementation language for lightning in particular why would people yeah maybe not it's a little slow uh so like you know some of these things have they have to sync a lot of state i haven't like gotten to I don't understand the Lightning Protocol very well compared to the... I understand the Bitcoin Protocol pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not the best to, art, to ask this, but like for these types of languages, you want something that's a little faster, and Python's a little slower. Uh, so so that's, that's generally like maybe you couldn't manage as many channels in Electrum as you could and in able to Lightning or something. Or something about being able to compile before you go live or something. Like yeah, that. so that's another thing. Is like it's, it's sort of easier to write multi-platform code in something like uh, C Lightning to, you know, to get it to run on Raspberry Pi. Like that's my struggle right now writing this multi-sig UI I've been working on. Is like I got it working on Windows uh, and then I got it working on Linux and Windows broke. <laughs> so, you know, like, fuck me. She's like, you fix one side of the, the brick wall. And this has happened a few times now. It's like, I add more features and I get one of them work and then the other one breaks. And so multi-platform code is hard because you have to be able to target all these different platforms and make them all work at once. So it's like something LND does really well because, uh, Golang is pretty good at that. And I think it's a little harder with Python, uh, in some cases, uh, yeah, it's a little harder to create like a binary that can just run anywhere. Uh, usually, you know, a lot of stuff you install with Python, you actually have to have Python installed on your system and maybe some smaller systems that like that we'd want to run Bitcoin nodes on won't have it. Well, this would be Electrum, so this would be a desktop machine. So I don't know. I think it's fine. I think it's, I think it's nice that they, it's, it's good to have more diversity. Another exciting one is Rust Lightning. Like on Matt Corrales GitHub, if you're curious, there's like a really cool thing where it's like a little prototype of a Lightning node 
written in Rust, and it's like two thousand. It's like a thousand lines of code or something. It's very short, and it uses Rust Lightning for everything behind the scenes. So you can really like look through what a, a Lightning node actually does. Like, what are the messages it gets? Uh, you know, what? How can it respond to these things? It's really cool. Uh, so I think there's yeah, there's a lot of diversity coming there, and you see a big difference between like Bitcoin and Lightning. You know, like uh, it's nice to have like one of the things I did recently is I made a C Lightning plugin for opening channels from hardware wallets. That's a feature I'd like to have in my Junction app here that we're going to talk about. Uh, one of the annoying things about Lightning is you have to fund your node and then you have to fund your channels, right? And so it's like this yeah. extra step that sucks. Uh, so it'd be better. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, somebody has been using lightning for almost a year now. It's still confusing as fuck to me. Yeah. It's confu It's like, what am I doing? It's the mental models hard. And so it would be better if you could just say like your wallet is like, here's, here's your, you know, uh, warm wallet, maybe your, your cold storage wallets, three of five, your warm wallets, just one of those hardware wallets, your cold card or something. And, uh, and you know, it's like, Hey, you want to open a channel, just plug in your warm wallet, uh, open a channel and we'll, you know, uh, it'll, it'll go directly into the channel. You never have to fund your node. Like the node stops having to, uh, fund channels that, 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 that job is taken over by someone who's better at it, a hardware wallet. Cause it's this problem is about signing a transaction. You want signatures to happen in the most secure environment you can get. And that's the whole point of these hardware wallets is they're tiny little secure computing environments that do one thing. Uh, well, two or three, but like dis it displays information. Sometimes it generates information like a new private key, but most of all, it does a math manipulation on a private key to create a signature. Uh, and you just don't want anything else interfering with that. And you want like a one-way communication channel that can only send these, you know, a transaction and a signed transaction back. Uh, and that's really hard in the context of like a modern operating system where there's a hundred, you know, there's like 10 million lines of code and a hundred programs running and different users and passwords and, you know, all kinds of hardware that could have been uh, manipulated along the supply chain from China to here. Uh, so that's the point of a hardware wallet is to simplify everything. And, uh, and so you outsource the, this uh, funding of channels to the thing that's good at it, the hardware wallet. So this is exciting. Like, uh, LND can't do this. C-Lightning can. So this is the point I was bringing up is like the, you can see, you can start to see Bitcoin and Lightning diverge uh, in terms of how it works. It's like, well, one, multiple implementations thrive and it's, it's good. Like, C-Lightning can uh, meet my desire to do this and LND can do other stuff. And that's perfectly fine. You think it's good in the long run, though? I think so. I mean, uh, it's good that, so, like, I'm not an expert on this, but, like, uh, C-Lightning tries to be, like, very modular. Maybe, like, L&D goes for, like, more features, and they become more monolithic in search of more features. I think that's roughly true. I'm not an expert, so. Uh, but, but so this is cool because for some use cases, one of them will serve you better. Like, you don't want the same implementation five times. That's worthless. You want five different implementations. So, like, a Python one uh, you know, maybe more easier, easier for people to integrate with because they can read the code and understand it better. Uh, that was my assumption. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I agree. It's like, I'm excited as a Python programmer, someone who doesn't really like reading C. I can read Go, but it's like, it's only such a big project. It's hard to really grok it all. And uh, why well, was, I don't know, you've made it clear that you're more um, uh, focused on Bitcoin at the protocol level than Lightning, but what, do you know why Nicholas Dorier was was mad at LND? Yeah, so the big the big problem was that uh, so Lightning has a database of all the channels, and uh, in general, like you 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 know when you upgrade your software, you'll have a database and you have to migrate that database, basically update the structure of this data, update the structure of this data uh, for how the database should look at you know the newest version. 
And so LND made the decision to only support these migrations between major versions, between like version six, uh, version seven, version eight, and not between version six and version eight. And uh, that's just really hard because if somebody doesn't use their node for a while... You're not thinking of the man in the coma. Exactly, exactly. Which is, I mean... Uh, yeah, it's 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 a so they reverted it. Yeah, they reverted, they reverted it, right? it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because version zero point eight point. But this is this is sort of one of these holy wars. I've seen a few times where uh, roast beef and Nicholas will go at each other a little bit because like roast beef loves go the go language and and uh, Nicholas loves C sharp. I don't know much about either one, but they like really go at it sometimes. It's sort of it's sort of uh, funny at times. It is again as an outsider. You have these religious wars amongst programmers. Right. Like, this is one of the worst parts amongst of languages, like, right? No, and that's something as uh, I will concede that I do probably know more about coding languages and the structure of code and how it all. Yeah, you're like, talking works about together. MATLAB, yeah. and you're talking. <laughs> but it still fascinates me, like the holy wars over these languages and yeah. how entrenched people get in. Um, and their language and, and what they can do with it and, and how other people critique it. They get very defensive. Yeah, it's weird. Like nerd sniping. It's like how you, how you get status in the nerd community. Uh, sometimes it's like, you, you know, this is the way it works. Uh, is there like a tower of Babel going on with programming languages right now? Will there ever be consolidation on one? Would, would you ever want that? Is that ever advantageous? Kind of. So like you have, like, for example, mobile apps have been interesting. So you started with like two legacy languages. iOS has this uh, Objective-C, Java, or uh, Android has Java. There's like these two 10, 20-year-old languages. And so they run these for a while. And like it got to be really pain in the ass to use these two very different languages. And they were both old, not great in some ways. And so like there, there came this thing, React Native which is like a way to use web development skill uh, techniques to make mobile apps. And so uh, like I built a really early React Native app and it was pretty cool because I could just use the skills I already had to make mobile apps. But then the thing was is that each of these platforms went and uh, developed their own native React, language, like right. Swift and Kotlin. These yeah. are the next generation ones. And so now the move, so like for example, Airbnb went and made, made this React Native app, right? Tower of Babel is gone or whatever. Or like, you know, it's, it's uh, you can, we all have a language to speak now. And then they end up migrating back because they were, the, you know, by having to sort of like make compromises between the two different approaches, there were behaviors they couldn't accomplish. And so now they've migrated back to like the, the new native language, Swift and Kotlin. So it's kind of interesting. You see this like... Is this different than React.js? React.js is the web version. React yeah. Native is the thing that can run on like a... And what was form. the big competitor? Of the Re was it React and Node? View. View. That's what it was. Yeah. Angular. Angular, Angular, yeah. that's what it was. And but so, so if you, right? you want to learn about all this stuff, come to Kamu University. Uh, you know, like, as I was sort of saying earlier before we got sidetracked, like, it's a, so I, I, I like, put you in an environment we're, where you can, We're back to learning Python to be able to communicate with your node. Yeah, like, <laughs> fucking learn to talk to your node, man. Like, if you're listening to this podcast and you have never talked to your node, like, can you really call yourself a Bitcoiner, really? I, I will admit... The last time I talked to my node was the um, it was a few months ago. Uh, with the uh, just out of curiosity, I checked my bug logs to find that miner who tried to add more. Mm -hmm. uh, he added his fees to the block reward, and he and he got axed for it. My node rejected it. Nice. Yeah. Felt good. It felt good to confirm that in the command line. So exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah. So these are skills that are useful, and they they're they're sort of like. Uh, yeah, I think this is a smart thing to do if you're in big, like I, I created this class because I saw all these people who wanted to learn, get deeper, but they struggled to get from zero to like one. 
uh, they, they just struggled to get a foothold. I so I created like- this class to like help people get a foothold. And I've had like maybe 5% of the people actually go on and take my little bootcamp class. So that's been pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I, I think that if you want to understand Bitcoin a little better and you want to be able to use it more securely, uh, like it's really hard to have a, a really solid sense of security in Bitcoin without, without learning a little bit about software. Exactly. That's fundamentally what well, you're dealing with. That's exactly. I'm happy you said that because that's like, take a step back from Bitcoin, like you, understanding the stack, like how it all interacts with each other, like even how html and css interact with each other mm-hmm. html is just like the hypertext and the css is the makeup on top of it and then how that interacts with the MongoDB database on the back end if you're yeah. doing like a e-commerce site or something like that yeah and where does the data come from exactly what what, what what's it calling to what's it what pulling does the from? browser do yes exactly. and uh once you and, and i'm and again i'm somebody who can't like, when you learn this you start uninstalling chrome extensions yes, <laughs> the more yes. you learn about it so exactly. this is like there is a benefit here you'll well, be like oh that b- before you even start uninstalling chrome extensions <laughs> you get because for a lot of people the internet is magic right? yeah it's just magic it just works but it actually does have a structure and a hierarchy and an infrastructure to it this is and once you understand that it helps you get a better holistic pic- picture of what's going on in the world in general let alone bitcoin yeah so as a web developer i was working like web developer mobile, mobile stuff uh just like a product engineer startups uh I learned how like the internet, I learned how the web works. I never learned how the internet works. Like how is the data actually transmitted? And so like learning about Bitcoin, you actually have to learn that because Bitcoin is a protocol right on top a, of the raw internet TCP. It's a gossip protocol, right? Yeah, exactly. And so you, you learn how to send and receive these messages and how to compose them, how to interpret them. Uh, and you, you can sort of get like, this is one of the things, we, this is like the second part of my Biddle Bootcamp class. You get like close to the point of being able to do like initial block download or being able to write an SPV or a full node. Like you'll never get the true exact behavior of like a Bitcoin node, but you can write like a, a very naive, silly one. And at that point, you really understand what it's doing and when you need to run a full node and when you don't need to run a full node. Cause it's like, you know, there are times you don't need, if you if you just have like a five year, like John Doe, for example, like he didn't need a full node those five years because he wasn't spending. He wasn't receiving. He was just sitting on it. We're talking about a former guest who uh, had a forced huddle. He was in jail. He was he was holding it. He he had it on a on tails, right? Something. I think he had it on tails on a USB, and they're like, "Sorry, we couldn't crack the USB. Here, here, here it is." And it's like, "Oh, thanks." That's <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the interesting things about the dark web people because I've never really interacted with them. And it's like every once in a while you'll come across this when you're trying to learn how to use Tor or something. You'll come across one of these sites that was written for these people. And it's like, wow, those are really best practices on security. It's like some of the best uh, material on how to improve your opsec is like was written by these people for these people, uh, and they really like left some night. Like it's not it's no accident that that guy had good opsec because that's what that. that community actually became good at it well if today's lesson uh the drug dealers are much better than the pedophiles exactly <laughs> um or you freaks don't know or i mean you do know by now like there was a huge bust of uh i mean that's a big fud today in bitcoin did you see that i didn't you didn't see it? i was trying to release a fucking windows thing man you didn't see this <laughs> no okay so today uh, that's why i was like oh look at me. You, justin's looking at me man, man, like, he's, you're, you're he's, going into pedophiles right now like <laughs> it's topical believe me um, so he's up on the programming languages. He's up on the news. This man really gets it. <laughs> but so the fun of today, uncle had his eggs this morning. The fun line, <laughs> uncle Marty ate his proteins, ate my scrammies, ready to go. He didn't cook them either. Yeah. Raw yolk. But, um, the fun line of today is a, uh, a pedophile dark market was brought down. 
Jesus. And you were just talking about how uh, the Silk Road drug dealers like had their OPSEC down, down pat. Um, these idiot pedophiles, and these people should burn in hell. They should be burned at the stake. They should die. They were sending transactions right from... Uh, exchange accounts to the website from which they were acquiring this terrible material and it just like and it's one of the it actually brought it highlighted bitcoin's lack of privacy which is pretty crazy yeah uh fuck those people yeah i mean it's and this is one of the tough things about uncensorable money right like like when we started the podcast like with this critic i forget his name but uh simon uh mikhailovich Simon, Simon Mikhailovich, it's like a lot of these guys will have good arguments and because it's like there are problems with Bitcoin. Like, yeah, I mean, it'll it'll get easier to like these these child porn people probably it'll help them. It'll help arms dealers or, you know, like in, in like sketchy people. It'll help a lot of sketchy people. And that's I mean, that's one of the things we got to be upfront about. And it's like, yeah, there, there are some costs here. Like, it's not all roses. Those people can also drink water. They can exactly breathe air. Exactly. They, uh it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to give them. It's hard to remove freedoms from them without removing those freedoms from yeah, themselves. Don't, like I mean, at the end of the day, it's like either both sides get a freedom or nobody gets it. It's yeah. hard over time. It's hard to. It's hard to like enforce those boundaries. Well, it seems like the go-to idiom here is "Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater." And but it seems like people are more willing yeah. in today's day and age to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, that's one of the tough things. It's like, so I think so often like law enforcement has trouble proving like a really nasty allegation. Uh, and so like Al Capone, for example, right? Like they could never pin Al Capone for killing people. They got him for tax fraud. Eventually. So exactly. So it's like you end up, get, you end up nailing people for these financial crimes. And that's sort of how this like financial surveillance state sort of started. It's like, and you get these like Rico acts and you get all these, these different things uh, you know, you start shutting down or restricting American access to like Swiss bank accounts and all these things, uh, and, and you, you start to criminalize uh, like financial acts that went along with crime, but the crime itself was never punished because they couldn't actually pin it on them. So that's like that's where it gets really tough. It's like you don't want Bitcoin to be illegal because some bad people use it. You want to do the bad things they did to be illegal and like Bitcoin is unaffected. Well, this is why I like to fall back on the the Beautyon argument of Bitcoin is it is just code at the end of the day. Like Beautyon doesn't like the fact that we imbue the fact that we imbue the property of money on Bitcoin yeah. or the property of uh, free speech. This or, is this is scary well, though. It is free speech at the end of the day. But no, again, like Bitcoin as a protocol, like when you get down to it, you know more better than I. It has no idea what we're doing. Again, it's just a gossip messaging protocol. I, I don't think free speech is the place we want to like put our defense, though, because it's like that's getting eroded pretty quickly. Like LeBron James is on on TV, like shitting on free no, speech these days. No, we should fucking put our stake down, put our flag down, and be like, yes, this is free speech. Like I do think we need to stand up for free yeah. free speech. I, I agree with that. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm I'm just saying that it's like that's being eroded pretty quickly. I think. Well, uh, somebody's got to stand up and yeah. fucking fight for it, right? I don't know. Yeah. I don't really have an opinion on whether coded speech. It's like, in a sense, it is. Uh, like, obviously, like, printing out coded speech, like what the whatever Zimmerman or his name was with the PGP well, stuff, like printing it out and putting does, it on it. Like, not trying to be a dickhead here, but does it matter what you or I think? Hasn't it already been deemed by the Supreme Court as speech? I think the printing out of code was deemed as speech, like really? the distribution of code. But I don't know if it was the execution of code. Like, there's a little bit of a difference there. Like, Some you know, like if you press a button that runs a computer program that nukes 
city or something. It's like, was that act speech? I don't know. I mean, there's obviously like physical things that happen. Yeah, but, but like, where's the crime there? Is it when the nuke's created? Is it yeah. when it's when it's? It's a good point. This is an argument. I think other people are better at than me. No, it's let's like, get it to we got... I just I just punt. It's like, man, I, these like moral questions are just like I, I don't know. So what do you focus on? What broad strokes do you like to focus on? You like building shit, obviously. Yeah, I like. Uh... What do you focus on, and like what dictates your decision making? So like within, I mean. Uh... I'll start with in Bitcoin and maybe say more generally. Um, so like in Bitcoin, I get excited about the things that I think are really important. Like I have, I don't, I, I have to, I have to really be convinced that something's important to even show up. Uh, otherwise, I just won't. Uh, so in within Bitcoin, it's like I, I thought that teaching was important because I struggled myself to learn how it worked. And, uh, and I could see that like, you know, there's like 30 core contributors, right? Like, ooh. It'd be better if there were more of those, like, and, you know, uh, there weren't very many good wallets. There were only a couple hardware wallets. Like, okay, more developers would be good, so I'm going to go work on that. And then after, like, nine months of that, I started to think, like, so, I, so I, this is the, the next thing I did after the university is I, I did this thing called HODL Bootcamp. So part of the inspiration for that is, like, uh, my own struggle is, like, using, using wallets, right? Like, so I, the first time I ever used a Trezor... Uh, when I had to upgrade the firmware, I, uh, when you got to hit the button down at the same time. Well, so no, uh, so it's like, I, I was like, okay, I got to check the seed. Right. And this is, I've been teaching people about Bitcoin for six months. Like I should know a lot about this. So I, I, uh, I tried to go verify the seed because I wrote the seed down and I tried to verify it on a separate computer. So I had like an offline machine where I loaded the seed in and tried to check that the addresses were the same and they weren't. I was like, what the fuck? So when I set this up, I, I just assumed when I set this up, I wrote down the wrong thing or something. I couldn't figure it out. And then, uh, and, uh, and I ended up having to sweep the wallet. I should have like reached out to some friends, but I swept the wallet to somewhere new. I was probably embarrassed that like this happened, so I didn't want to tell anybody. Uh, so I swept the funds to a different wallet and, and like it worked, it was fine. But I was like, holy fuck, I almost like lost the first big chunk of Bitcoin I had. Because uh, I didn't understand how the wallets worked. Well, I'm teaching a class about Bitcoin. Like, this is, this is wrong. It turned out the, the problem was, is when I checked the wallets, I checked them in Electrum. And Electrum, by default, has a different seed format. And so I imported my BIP39 BIP seed, or BIP44. They're BIP39. BIP39, yeah. Uh, Electrum as, 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 as Electrum seeds, and so it got the wrong stuff. And so, like, it's like, damn. We need to teach. If, if this could happen to me... Like this, we need to like teach people how to like, I have a very similar story. And one I'm actually probably more ashamed of than you are because it wasn't my money. Like yeah. while I was at Barstool and people were like, Hey, I want like, I'm in like the few people who looked at me were like, Hey, I'm in Bitcoin for the long run. Like, like I, I, don't have a hard, I don't have a hardware wallet yet. Like where should I like keep it? I was like, Electrum was my go-to. Yeah. And I had a one case in particular where somebody put some Bitcoin in an Electrum wallet and in the middle when election was getting DDoS, like you they couldn't fish? access. No, he didn't get fish. He just couldn't access his Bitcoin. Oh yeah. He couldn't send it off of the election wallet. And I'd yeah. explain like, uh, they have a different, uh, they have a different seed phrase, like mm-hmm. structure and it doesn't work. Like you think you can get, uh, uh, recover your seed on your treasure, but you're not because they do like, Yeah. Just trying to explain the nuances of election versus the other wallet. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, uh, maybe I'll think, three times before giving that yeah yeah future. so that's what so I, I was like okay i have a new idea for class hollow boot camp we'll basically teach people 
to set up wallets and to recover them uh, and do this all on testnet. So it's practice, right? So, and that's also nice for like legally, like I, I'm not like helping them on mainnet so I could get sued or something. Uh, so it's just like all play, it's all fake money, just practice. And then you can do with these skills what you will. Uh, and it was really cool. Like people loved it. Like 350 people signed up. Uh, and I got like half the way through and I was trying to teach them how to do like multi-sig and electrum. And it was like, fuck, this is complicated and it sucks. And like, oh, here you forgot to pip install like a Python package. And like, oh, here you accidentally set it as single sig and not multi-sig and you know, this and that. And it's like, oh, by the way, you set it up and now all those addresses went to chain analysis. And so now run your electrum server. And it's like, it's like, uh, there's all this stuff going on. And I, I got to the point where I was like, man, it, maybe it would just be better to spend some time trying to make another way for people to do multi-sig. Cause like, uh, I want to do, I want to redo my own cold storage, right? Because uh, now what I was doing it to begin with is I should probably like if it ten x's or something, I'm not going to be very comfortable. <laughs> so I was like, I want to redo my own cold storage, and I, I've like struggled with Electrum. There's not really a good like I want to, I want to do multisig, uh, mostly because it's like multisig. Uh, the big way to think about it is there's like no, like you can't be taken out by a single thing if you like in theory if you do it right no single thing will just take you out, just lose all your coins. You'd have to fuck up twice. There's no silver bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, this is kind of the opposite idea. Like there's no, there's no silver bullet means like there's no one thing that will do to fix all your problems. But on the opposite side, it's like with multi-sig, you get this idea. So there's no, there's no one bullet that can kill you, but you can, you can take one hit. If you have a two of three, if you have a three or five, you can take two hits. You get shot twice and survive. Uh, you can lose two of those keys. And so that's really appealing, not just from like the chances that you actually keep your own money, but just the ability to sleep at night, you know, like sort of uh, having to fend for yourself, like the individual sovereignty that you get with Bitcoin is like, uh, uh, it's like a right, but more a responsibility. It's like, it's a weight you carry. It's a big weight you carry. And so like multi-sig helps to make that lighter because you're like, hey man, I can drop some of this and be okay. It's like a pulley system. It's a pulley system, yeah. It's like leverage. So that's that's why I want to do multi-sig. And uh, like I gave a talk at Bitblock Boomers conference about it. Like the big thing you want is like you, you just want the different keys in your setup to be generated in a different way, to be stored in a different way, to be manipulated in a different way. And so like if these ways are all sort of different, like on a different computer architecture, written in a different programming language, a different supply chain, a different group of corporate governance, like you know, hiring people or whatever, like separate sets of employees. If like one of these elements goes rogue and steals one of your keys, it's like if, if you're truly segregated, the other ones won't be affected by that same thing. So a lot of this was inspired by talks with Michael Flaxman. He had a great episode on Stefan Levera that I'd suggest. Legendary episode. Yeah. All hardware wallets are fucked. Yeah. So he's one of my good friends in Austin and uh, one of the you know, loyal d attendees of my meetup, Austin Bitcoin developers. Oh, so let's get into this. We uh, were talking about the Austin Bitcoin developers meetup before we hit record. And Justin is uh, pretty keen on explaining what it's like to run a meetup because it, yeah, what's I, it like? Dude? I think it's I think it's something people should look into, right? Uh, so like when I before, so I moved to Austin because I was like I, I went and did like startup stuff in San Francisco and then got kind of burnt out on it, went traveling, and I come back to the states and I'm like, uh, so where do I go? 
right? I don't want to go to San Francisco, New York City, because it's like I don't really want to jump right back into a job again. So like I went to Austin because it's a little cheaper. You can sort of you got more leeway. Uh, and I show up, and it's like I don't really have any friends. Uh, and I have some friends, but none of them are like Bitcoin people. And I'm like, at that time, I'm like going 90 miles per hour down the rabbit hole. <laughs> like I am, you know, one of those like skydivers. I'm skydiving down the rabbit hole. You get the bat suit on. Yeah, speed's unreached before going down so fast. Uh, and... So I wanted to meet some of these people, and it's like I I DM a few of them on Twitter, and they'd be like, "Yeah, maybe." And so, but they don't want to meet some rando, right? And so it's like, so I'm like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna make a meetup and get these people to come to me." And uh, so the first one I did, uh, I I found like a co-working space and uh, (laughs) booked an hour, and I told them like I'd be able to pay them a bunch of money in like three months, and of course that was a lie, but. uh, yeah, we did like a, I did a, a class about a thing about using Wireshark to analyze the network traffic of Bitcoin. Like, so what happens? What is Wireshark? On, Wireshark is a tool that can analyze packets sent through your like network cards, so you can actually see what messages leave your Bitcoin node, what messages receive. So you can like watch it get catch blocks. Like you make a filter to say look for blocks, look for packets that contain the word block, or maybe it's like a code. Uh, I know it would be an ASCII block because that's the name of the message in Bitcoin. Is this how you would try to find malicious nodes? Or? Uh, no, no. So this is just to see what your, just to understand what your Bitcoin node is doing. Uh, like a, a malicious node, you'd probably be able to find in the logs easier where it reject, your node rejects that stuff, assuming your node is actually doing what you want it to do. Uh, but this is just like, sees like, what the hell is my node doing? Because we all here like run a Bitcoin node, but I feel like very few people know what it's actually doing. And so, like, Wireshark is a cool tool where you can set a couple queries, like, hey, I want it to spy on port 8333, that's the peer-to-peer port, uh, and I want maybe the uh, TCP protocol or something, and you could also say, I want the the ASCII interpretation of the message to contain block. And so there, every 10 minutes, you'll see a message, or probably a little more, because you'll you'll receive it more than once. Uh, You only respond to it the first time, right? You update your blockchain, but the second time, you're like, hey, I already know about that. You'll see transactions come across. You'll see all kinds of stuff come across. And so it's kind of cool to see what it does. And so eight, uh, four people showed up to this meetup. Uh, two of them I have never seen since that day. And then one of them is Alex Hardy, this like really cool dude who used to uh, live in New York. Love Alex. He was like visiting for a business trip. And now he's moved to Austin and we're like homies. Huge shout out to Alex Hardy. Yeah. So, and, and he was other, one of my homies in New York, dude. He's, one, of so, my, one of my favorite breakfast dates was Alex yeah, Hardy. Yeah. It's like he's a really cool dude. And so the other guy is this guy, Richard, uh, who is one of the like foremost testers of Sea Lightning software. He, he did this like multi-pay plugin that allows you to... Uh, in one on-chain payment, fund multiple channels. It's really cool. Now, and and uh, so he was one of the people that came to the meetup. And like we're like buddies. Like, so two weeks ago, we got together at a coffee shop and made a plug-in to open Lightning channels from hardware wallets. Uh, and so it's like... So I, like had, I had to interject here to yell at Alex Hardy. I know you're listening. Uh, we need a new proof of take. It's about time. That's <laughs> about it. So yeah, so like the point is like the, within one meetup, it was worth it. I made two friends. And I'm still friends with both these people. And like as it went, it's like I got to meet every Bitcoiner in my city. Uh, and uh, that, that's been really cool. It's like now I can sort of, like I'm friends with Michael Flaxman and Bitsy and all these people. And I didn't know them before. Uh, and I think that's true. You know, this is, uh, you know, there's probably some hidden Bitcoiners in your city if you're listening. And if you create one of these little events and put the word out, you can probably get a few of them to show up. And like that's worth it just for starters. And it's also like one of the other fun things about running a meetup you're sort of like accountable to be on top of things. 
so like we, we've switched to this like, like for, to begin with, I tried to like get speakers. To, at the start, I gave the talks, which was really challenging. Then I got exhausted and invited speakers. That lasted like six months and we switched to uh, the Socratic style. It's incredible. So the idea with the Socratic style is you have sort of a facilitator who uh, brings up various topics. Shout out to Jay here in New York. Yeah, so there's like one guy who perfected And John Newberry. Form. So it's yeah. Jay and John Newberry, basically. Yeah. And Willow Byrne, who abandoned Will, you. He, Will abandon us. the greatest city Will. in the world, Austin. Texas. You guys are too lucky to have Will. Will, I miss you. Will, I miss you. Yeah, so... Luckily, uh, we still have James and Michael. Yeah. So, so the idea is, like, you have these facilitators that lead people through a number of topics, and they sort of uh, start dialogue, and the, uh, you sort of pull knowledge out of the audience. And so this is really cool, because, like, in Austin, we have, like, Jimmy Song, Flaxman, B uh, Bitstein, the people at Unchained, uh, Polstra... Uh, Johnny Dilly sometimes, uh, Kanger, a bunch of these people. And so it's like you can get these people to basically run your meetup for you. But it's, you have to be on top of like the ability to Don't sort of like lead the conversation. Yeah, so Jay does it incredibly here in New York where he has a him – and, him and John, John Newberry uh, at this point gets just as so much credit. Uh, Jay will go through – white papers and uh just general computer science yeah, security security, security uh, vulnerabilities on some platform john comes in runs through bips and where certain bips are we'll we'll talk yeah, about pull requests for a bit. you and, know like what's happening to the bitcoin core wallet yes yeah, so will like then will would come in lightning apps. and he does lightning apps and demonstrations yeah. and and it just starts in here in new york we're we're spoiled where some months you'll have peter todd walk in and yeah. just start like raising his hand and like putting ideas out uh about certain topics and it's actually hilarious i have to note earlier this year during consensus matt odell was not at BitDevs, and it was the night that we uh demoed his his final message app mm -hmm. and peter todd was at the demo and did not critique the app so matt was not there to see that peter todd did not not like his app <laughs> which uh matt I know you're gonna you, you're gonna be bad about that for life, but it was just hilarious being there. I was like, Peter Todd didn't critique it, dude. You're good. <laughs> it's a pass, man. <laughs> um, but no, the the, yeah, so the format is it just again like in, in Socratic. What is Socratic? It's it's open. It's not even debate. It's just open questioning, right? Yeah. Like why? Like explain. Like if you, even at BitDevs, if you are a novice and you're not technically competent, which has happened many times, people walked in thinking it's just a meetup where you can ask. Any questions, people are nice. Like, hey, mm -hmm. uh, most of the room may already know the answer to this, but we will take the time to answer it for you and explain the context of uh, this answer and why it may be that, important pertaining to Bitcoin. It's one of the interesting things about running a meetup is you want something that appeals to noobs and the pros. It's like if Jimmy and Brian Bishop stop coming to my meetup, that sucks. Uh, but if noobs stop coming and it's just these like advanced people, that also kind of sucks because right. it's not a community. Uh, and so, yeah, striking that balance is really interesting. But my, my point in all this is like running a meetup for me has been a great way to meet all these people in a new city. Like I know probably, I know so many of the, the people who are interested in share. It's not just this, that they bought the same thing I did and have similar investment views to me. It's that they, uh, have views about, you know, like, uh, like shared views about what human action is acceptable. Core values. Like, yeah. Like, like really core, core values. values. Yeah. And so you can, you can, you can sort of build friendships on these shared values and have deeper conversations than you can with like the regular people in your own life who don't share some of these values. Uh, and so it's like a, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, of joining the meetup if there is one starting one, if there isn't one. And I know some people are a little concerned about like, 
being publicly known as a Bitcoin or something. Like for me, it's been totally worth it. Uh, just it, to, to be, just to meet all these like great people. Cause I'm, I'm sort of like a disagreeable person. Like if I take a personality test, I was going to bring this up. I thought I was going to, uh, I thought I was going to shock you with it. The last time you were here, we were on my roof, smoking yeah. cigarettes, drinking wine <laughs> late at night. What, uh, you, you said this to me, you're, you are 99% disagreeable. Yes. Yeah, so I took like a couple personality tests. Uh, I always assumed I was introverted cause I don't get along with people. Uh, or like I, 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 I tend to like not spend a lot of time with people. And uh, now it turns out I'm just highly disagreeable. I just don't like people. <laughs> like I'm actually, I, I like to be around people. I find this like hard I, to believe because I like being around you. I love. Well, yeah, that's because we like agree on stuff. I'm <laughs> a little more <laughs> frictious. Frictious. What do we disagree on? Where can we? Where can I see the bad side, Justin? Man, that's what I want to know. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, so like, uh, why are we bringing this up? I'm making all these admissions on your podcast. Plus, this will happen. This will happen. You're saying you're disagreeable and you're saying a meetup. Uh, oh yeah. So it's like, I, I don't make a lot of friends cause it's like, uh, I mean, I have like some really close friends, but like most people I don't really want to be around. And so Bitcoin is like this outlet to find a lot of people that I do want to be around. Uh, and they're different. They're not all like programmer nerds like me. Or they're not all, you know, it's, it's a diverse group. And uh, they share some, like, fun, they share some values with you so that, like, in the second conversation, you can have a really sub- substantive conversation or something. You go and barbecue a steak with them and you, like, talk about real shit. It's like, oh, this is a surprise. So I'm a big proponent of starting a meetup. Uh, you know, like I've had a number of students in my classes now. I think like the Fran- Fran- France meetup or the uh, Paris meetup is one of my students. Uh, uh, Halifax, there's like three or four, other, like f- actually more than that. I mean, Stefan, he's not like my, he's his own thing, but like he runs a meetup. There's a number of them that run meetups, and uh, I think it's a really, a really good thing, and I encourage people to do it. I think you're going to look back, dude, and be proud. I do, I do, of uh, teaching all these people and planting these seeds and getting these ideas out there because yeah like what's life worth living if you can't go out there and find the people that you want to build your future with right like, yeah so that's what i was talking about earlier is like why am i into bitcoin it's like uh i i want to find things that are like really really important or i just like can't get motivated and uh it's so like this teaching thing was was definitely one of them and i mean yeah it's it's cool to see like i think four or five of my students are speaking at this lightning conference uh, it's like cool to see them sort of graduate and like go out into the world. And I, I, I just played a small part. Like most of it was their own characteristics. Like I have one, like one student who's now like sending, doing like, uh, uh, Will Clark. He's like doing this really cool, like, uh, uh, lightning over mesh network stuff with Gotenna. And it's like, I played, I helped him, but it was mostly him. And that's the cool thing to be around these people. It's like, they were going to get there regardless of you, but you can sort of help them. Uh, it's just a great group of people to be friends with. So like every conference I go to, there's like 10, 15, 20 of us. And it's like, I really know these people now. And we have all these like shared jokes because they like went through this whole curriculum. And Well, <clears throat> having gone through a boot camp myself, not a Bitcoin boot camp in any sense of the imagination, but just a boot camp where you're constrained for 10 to 12 weeks with a very small group of people with very different goals at the end of the day, but uh, a very uh, broad a general goal that they're all striving towards you mm-hmm. find like everybody feeds off each other and it's just yeah. like everybody trying to pull the best information from everybody else and, and level everybody else up and that i think and like this goes this we can circle back to the way education works in general mm-hmm. and how it works today like i agree or i agree i i think that 
we sh- the whole world should adopt the Montessori mindset, like mix age groups, just gently nudge people into what they're interested in yeah. and say, hey, you're interested in this. Here's what you need to know to become more interested and things will just work out. Yeah, way. man, that's like, I feel like I've got, I've had a little bit of that at times, but it hasn't been perfect. And so it's like, that's my big question in life right now is like, do I want to keep working on this education stuff or build products? Yeah. So Bitcoin products. That right? was the big conversation we had last time you were here. Yeah. So, so since the last time I see, like, since the last so, like, time Justin's l- been on the podcast, he's had the Biddle Boot Camp, he's done everything he's described, and now you're getting into hardware injunction and... Yeah, so this is this, this is like the so like when I was talking about this uh, hollow bootcamp thing, like trying to teach people to use wallets. It's like I got a little ways through. I was like, "Fuck, some of these wallets suck ass." You know, <laughs> sorry to cuss twice in four Mo- words. Most but. of these wallets suck ass. <laughs> yeah, and the software wallets aren't good. The hardware wallets aren't great. And so like, I started to like neglect my responsibility as a teacher and sort of spend more time programming. And so I, the first thing I did is I wrote up like a hardware wallet. And part of this is because we, we do these, some of these exercises in my Biddle Bootcamp class, but I really wanted to learn like what goes into making a hardware wallet. That was at like BitBoy, it was kind of popular on Twitter. Uh, it was like a QR air gap hardware wallet. So like- That thing was sweet. And yeah. it was all PSTB, P- PTSB, excuse me. <laughs> PSBT. Partially signed Bitcoin transaction. PSBT. PSBT, that's what I said. I've heard you fucked this up so I fucked it up. I said PSBT. You did. did I say TB? I don't remember, but you fucked it I up I said PSBT. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it's all PSBT. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just cool to see what goes into making a hardware wallet. And so, like, what are the considerations? What, that, what information does a hardware wallet have available? What doesn't it? What can it check? What can't it check? Uh, I made my hardware wallet stateless, meaning... Uh, between turning it on, there's actually nothing stored, assuming that the, like, the memory is actually wiped. You have to plug your seed in at the beginning. You have to enter the seed in on a keyboard every time. And that's kind of cool because uh, like, this would be nice if you created a paper wallet. There's this like, cool tool called Seed Picker, for example, that'll uh, direct you through putting, uh, printing out all the seed words, cutting them out into little pieces of paper, sticking them in the hat, and drawing your seed words. So you draw 23 words, and then the fourth one, they have like a little computer script to create the 24th, because that includes a checksum, which means it's, uh, it's basically a check that, uh, that this one goes with all the other ones. It's, it's, it's a check against uh, typos. So if you, mm. if, you, if you type in the wrong word for word 11, the checksum, the 24th word won't match. And so this is a... So uh, it's a fail-safe. Almost. It's a fail-safe just to, to, just to check if you made a typo. It's to help the user. Uh, and so this is... I like that. The seed picker, yeah, it's a cool thing. So like uh, you can create that. You don't need a hardware wallet. You can roll dice if you just want to create your seed. Uh, in like a multi-sig, for example. Like if you're doing a three of five, you only need three hardware wallets uh, in order to like start spending. Uh, the other two seeds could be like backup seeds and... A good device to recover those, to actually spend those if you ever need to, would be something like a BitBoy or a more advanced version of it's like a crypto advance. This is an actual company that's doing something similar. Uh, Since it's stateless, you can enter a seed in, spend the funds, and then wipe the device and start all over. Uh, So that's that's like kind of a cool thing. It's a little different model than other devices. So in this scenario, could you have like a seed phrase in a BitBoy, which would have been the fourth and fifth uh, signatures in that three of five setup? And if somebody were to find that seed phrase in that, that cookbook, would they be able to tell that it's part of a multi-sig? 
Uh, you can you can find if you get a seed. The, the point I'm trying to get at here is yeah, like, I, I can answer that. So yeah. if uh, you can tell if it's part of a multi-sig, only after one or more of the outputs have been spent, because a multi-sig uses a construction called pay to script hash. So like in the beginning, we we paid to public keys and public key hashes, and so these would be like when you create an output, a UTXO, basically a Bitcoin. Inside that, it would include a public key or the hash of a public key, which is, it, it basically just means a way of, uh, of sort of like hiding what key it was, but a way to check later on that uh, the same key is yeah. used again. So Satoshi, all of his coins are in pay to pub key. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so uh, this, this construction has the, pub, the, the script, meaning like the encumbrance, the, uh, the, uh, the thing that actually defines the conditions under which you can spend your coins exist in the transaction output, right? And so what pay to script hash did is it said, well, for multi-sig, that gets kind of expensive because you have to put, like, let's say three of five, the way a three of five multi-sig looks in the, in the script, the Bitcoin's programming language, it will say op three. That means I want three signatures. And after that, five public keys will be be there. And each one of those is like, I forget how many bytes, uh, but there are a lot. And then it says op check multisig, which means I want to check of these five that three of, that there are three matching signatures presented to me. And uh, this, is, this is a lot of data to put into an output uh, because the spender has to pay for an output because Bitcoin charges per byte of a transaction presented to miners, right? So uh, the uh, fee would all go to the sender, but the sender doesn't actually get the, re the value. The, the, the sender has no benefit of this multi-sig address. It's the receiver who gets the, the benefit of receiving to a multi-sig more secure address. And so what paid a script hash did is it, it put that responsibility uh, to the recipient. And so you'd pay to a hash of this script, and then when the recipient who owns the multi-sig uh, wallet wants to spend it, they would have to present this script. So the script went to the inputs. So when you spend, now you have to present a script. And yes. so it sort of changed a little bit the way it is. And uh, and yeah, this I figured exactly why I was bringing this up. Dude, you just ex explained that very, like I follow along the whole way. Yeah, like, I mean, I've been doing this a lot. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 just like, uh, this, this pay to script hash was, uh, uh, it was, it was like a, a, a different way of, of, of assigning. It's, it's basically like an extra layer of security too, right? Oh, so, so yeah, that was your question. Is under what conditions can I know that this is part of a multi-sig? Yeah. And so the, the answer is once one has been spent, if you have the public key, the master public keys, you can drive that with, uh, because, you just, because you have to see someone to present what that public keys were. The public keys aren't presented when the outputs are created. The public keys are, are presented when the outputs are spent. So that's the big difference between... So you put the burden, burden on the receiver instead of the sender. Yeah, so it's like, uh, yeah, so once you start spending multi-sig, you start to, you, you know, the uh, person can, uh, if somebody got a, a hold of these, these public keys, they could, they could see like, oh, this is part of a multi-sig. Uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, this, is, this gets to one of these really interesting questions. So like, so yeah, I've been, let's, let's segue to Junction a little bit. So I, I did this hollow boot camp and I was like, fuck man, maybe I could write a better wallet than... Uh, some of these and or not a better one, but just like maybe I could try to give my effort Because uh, like what Bitcoin is is like everyone sort of gives their effort and like One of us will kick the ball forward. It might not be me. It might not be you But someone will kick it forward uh, like we should all take our shot at it, right? And so I was like I got to take my shot, you know, 
Uh, and it was also a little bit of, uh, you know, it's like I'm teaching this class about Bitcoin programming. It's like, at the beginning, I was not qualified to be teaching this class. <laughs> Fuck it, but dude. But somehow they Who liked it. Who else was going to do it? Who somehow else was they doing liked it? it, yeah. I mean, I always have a refund. Like, every one of my students can get a refund. Uh, so, uh, so uh, I was like, just prove to these people I can actually do it. So I decided to create a multi-sig wallet. And partially because I didn't feel comfortable doing multi-sig with my Electrum server, like, or with my, with Electrum, like, there's, uh, yeah, so I just didn't really like using Electrum. And it's kind of like, it gets to, like, this question, like, the last week I've been kind of confused, like, what does it mean to run a node even? Uh, which is kind of weird, like, I've been studying. Just as last week? What does, what does it mean to run a node? Because it's like, I asked this question on Twitter, so Bit, Bitcoin nodes have this thing called RPC. Uh, it's a way to send, uh, HTTP post requests and you send a lot of these every day every time you submit a login form on the internet on the web you submit an HTTP post this is uh, contains like your username and password and it's supposed to like modify the database to make you logged in and so it, that's what this RPC is so it's just those and there's a bunch of commands like for example there's list transactions uh, uh, you know, you can broadcast transactions. The login credentials giving you access to the data on the node? Yeah, basically. So okay. you, can, you can query the blockchain. You can see what the height is. You can see uh, what coins are involved in a wallet. If, if private keys are enabled, you can spend and uh, generate addresses and all kinds of stuff. So this RPC is called. And it's like, uh, so with my junction thing, I'm trying to basically utilize this to make a wallet. And, uh, and connect directly to my Bitcoin node, right? Like that's, I don't want to connect through a middleman. I don't want a middleman with my fucking node. Are you kidding me? I want to talk to my node. And so it's like, uh, so one thing that's really hard is it's hard to, uh, like Bitcoin Core has sort of like punted on the authentication to this. Uh, they used to have uh, an encryption like TLS, it's called uh, encrypted connection to this thing. And they removed it, I think, because it was extra complex and because it was largely like exchanges that were, basically getting free tech support from Bitcoin core developers and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough to judge them on their decision. I assume it was the right decision. But it, it like for me as an application developer and as a hodler, it's like, well, it sort of stinks that I can't authenticate to my Bitcoin node in an easy way. Like if you have a noddle, right? Or if you had a noddle, yes. if it hadn't been stolen. It was uh, stolen. If it hadn't been stolen, like you could, you could maybe run a, a, a server, a, a program on your computer that would talk to it and it would talk over RPC, like the direct language that your Bitcoin node talks. Yeah, my Casa node still does this. Exactly. Be an extension. Yeah. So you, you want to be able to, to, to do this, uh, but like the core developers generally frown upon it. They say, don't ever use this, only do it if it's on the same computer, right? So that means like if you're running it, I think generally a full node should probably run on basically a server, like a little node in your corner. It probably shouldn't be running on your laptop. Like, you know, do you want to spend 20% of your disk space on a node? Probably not. Uh, do you want to always have it running? I mean, it's like you have to always have it running when you're using the computer, so everything's going to be slower. On the other hand, it's not always running because you turn your laptop off. So it's just probably better to have it on a separate machine. And so this makes it a little harder because there's no authentication between these two machines built into Bitcoin Core, really. Uh, or there's like, there's, it's like, a, it's, yeah, it's not like secure authentication. And so, uh, so it's like, well, so what do you do as an application? Well, what, well you, you talked like an, an Electrum server and it's like, okay, you told me to run a Bitcoin node, now I'm running two, right? And it's like, okay, well, if I wanna, you know, if I wanna do any like small payments, it's like, now you got me running an L&D too. And to do that, I got to run a watchtower, and it's like, 
Goddamn, I've been He's scammed. with Coster fucking building up, dude. I've been scammed, yeah. <laughs> now I have four nodes when I, I, I signed up for one, you know? Uh, so it's kind of like, to me, it's confusing. Like, what does it mean to run a node? Like, I, I want, basically, I'm trying to create a software that's called Junction. Uh, I'm trying to create software that would facilitate the creation of, of multi-sig hardware wallet cold storage. So I want to set up, I want to get a, a group of devices uh, and I want to set up a wallet between those that can securely receive large amounts of money. How do you make this possible? So, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm, so this is like my hack at it, right? So I don't, I don't think I have the answer. I, 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 can... I got the walkthrough through the hack tonight. I think you're pretty close. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so uh, there, there's like a couple parts in setting up a multi-sig wallet that works, like I think the first big challenge is like, how do you know when you receive funds? Like when, when, you, when, you, when you set up this group of devices, how are you able to verify that these funds you receive will actually be spendable by you, right? Because that, that's really the important thing because there are multiple, dev there are multiple devices involved and you want to know that like, if, let's say you have a two of three. That's the simplest case. You want to know that any two of three could, could spend these funds uh, that you're going to receive. Because if, if only two of them can spend, now you're just doing like basically a, a complicated, brittle single sig. Because it's like you have two things that both have to be there. You, you, you lose your redundancy. So you want to know that any permutation of the signers required, like the two in this case, uh, can sign right so if you let ledger treasure cold card when you, you talk about permutation that, what do you mean by permutation uh it's a cho choosing of sorry i got it i'm a math guy so uh so like treasure ledger cold card right you want to know that the treasure and the ledger can both spend you want to know that the ledger and the cold card can both spend and you want to know that the treasure and the cold card can spend you want to know that anybody can team up any combination any combination works right and so there's not one like rogue involved that uh won't be able to spend and so this is a big problem when you're like the biggest transaction you ever receive in Bitcoin is probably like the first or second time you redo your cold storage, right? You have a couple inputs that are big. I don't speak from experience. I'm like 20, class of 2018 Bitcoin, and this is a problem I hope to have in the future, <laughs> right? It's like, fuck me. But uh, uh, like for people who are, like when I'm trying to think about who to design software for, it's like those are the people who have a big problem, and we need to make their, we need to alleviate that problem for Bitcoin for them to stick, stick around. So like... If you're redoing that first cold storage, the biggest transaction you'll ever receive is when you send money to yourself. It's really like change in a sense. Well, but it's, the output. Yeah, the output. Let's, yeah. Get, let's get nitty gritty here. Like the, like, and we were talking about this before we hit record. Like I've only ever thought about the input of transaction when I send it from a hardware wallet. I never think to double check the output. Like where's the change going? Exactly. So, 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 so that's what like the, the first big challenge of a hardware of a multi-sig wallet is how to verify when you're receiving funds that you will be able to spend them under any condition that you expect to be able to spend them. Right. Uh, and so what that means is that, uh, basically each, uh, one option would be to make a present a UI on your JavaScript app or your mobile app that will check this for you. Uh, it can say like, well, here are the, the master public keys, right? So uh, each hardware wallet will contribute one of these master public keys. Uh, 
And this is a, basically a way of deriving uh, a number of addresses, right? So each one of these is, is sort of like a factory for new addresses, right? So the first address will take uh, sort of the first child of, of each of these three public keys and put that into the, that, that will become the address. We're getting into derivation paths. Yeah, derivation like... paths, yeah. It's not that complicated, honestly. But it, it, it's, it's still, important to, so this is what I was talking about. It's so earlier. complicated it's like, to me even, dude. It's hard to really use, it's hard to really, really, really sleep, to sleep all at night and to not be an idiot. Like, cause you can be an idiot and sleep all at night, but like if you're not an idiot, it can be hard to sleep all at night using Bitcoin. Uh, and so, yeah, so it, it's worth learning a little bit about this. And so, uh, so the way to like verify this is you, you don't want to check it on your desktop machine, on your computer that's connected to the internet, on your computer that you use to do whatever, to, that you click on random PDFs from your accountant, that you uh, plug random uh, keyboards into and mice into and uh, uh, you download torrents from the internet of, for movies you don't want to pay for or whatever. You know, you install the Zoom uh, audio calling thing, right? It's like a virus, it turns out. Uh, yeah, so. Still a Zoom user. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you're wrecked. Uh, Sorry. So, it, like, that's kind of the idea is, like, you know, you're, uh, you don't want to check that on your internet-connected machine. That's why we have hardware wallets is it's a simple, uh, minimal computational environment to do these sort of things. And it has a, a screen on it, so you can like check your address there. And you, so you want to ba basically be able to perform, you don't want to perform this on your host machine, you want to perform this on the hardware wallet. And so one of the hard things, so let's talk about single sig. If you have one private key involved, uh, that one private key will, involve, will exist in your hardware wallet. And, and when you send an address across, you can say, hey, this is an address created with this type of script, like pay to pub key, pay to pub key hash are the two popular ones. It could say which one it is. And it could say uh, basically the derivation path, which just means which, in practice, it means which child is it? Is that the first address, the second address, the third? And so the hardware wallet will just be able to go say, okay, I'm gonna start at the parent, the master. And if this is the ninth child, I'm gonna go do nine child, you know, go find nine children. So when you talk about children, you're talking about the first nine public, public addresses yeah. that are created. And so you go and check the ninth public, uh, yes. public key and you turn that into an address and you just check if the address that your host machine had matches what the address that your, your... What's the difference between like, nah, I can't believe I'm, even, I'm drunk enough to, to be uh, unabashed. Willing to ask this? <laughs> to be willing to ask it. What's the difference between an address and a, and a pub key? Like... Uh, so or, a, a, a script, a script, not a, a, not a script in a pub key, but like an address in a pub key. Yeah. So, uh, isn't a pub key an address? Isn't that interchangeable? What you, uh, so you can have the same pub key and you can use that in pay to pub key. I actually don't even think there's a way of encoding that as an address. Uh, you can encode, I'm not sure about that. It's so ancient. I forget, but you can, you can use that one pub key. Let's say it's just all zeros for the sake of argument. I think that's a valid pub key, all zeros. Uh, you can use that for a pay to pub key hash transaction, or you could use that as one of three keys. So that's single signature. That's one private key involved. You could also use that uh, as one of three keys in a multi-sig address. And so these would be two separate addresses, but with the same key. So, uh, yes. so that's the difference is like when you have a key, you also need the type of script involved. Basically what set of uh, basically what puzzle needs to be solved with this key, 
right? And that, and what dictates one of the po- what dictates that is where the keys are manipulated, right? At which, like, so at which public key below the master key. So we're like forty eight was an example earlier. Yeah, that would be f- the forty eighth public key, basically the forty eighth public address. That's the way I understand. Kind of, it. yeah, yeah. You can so, accept Bitcoin too under that master branch. Yeah, so that's that's like roughly the idea of how is multi sig r- is is roughly close enough. That's, or is that's it close. Not so good? it's so the forty eight was involving like a native segwit multi sig address. So mm-hmm. that was that was to find. Uh, there's like a special set of children that you go to if you're looking for multisig. And so the bigger reason here is that okay. the bigger reason it's here is like, let's clear. say you're become using clear. a vendor who's, who's doing multisig for you, right? And they go away. It's like, well, how do you check? How do you go and find those keys again? So, so the challenge is like if your wallet software goes away, you still have the seed. That's like the master of private keys. It's like a factory of private keys, right? And the, the, factor, the, the, the way this thing works is like, it can create children. That's your master key, basically. Yeah, your master key. The master key can create children. It can create, I forget how many millions, like billions and billions of them. Like, uh, it's like 30, I forget, I don't want to be wrong, but uh, it can create a lot of them. And the thing is, each one of those can create children. So it's not like a, a linear thing yeah, where fractal. it's like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's not like a bunch of, it, it's a tree. You have one parent and you can create this whole tree. And so uh, given that each one of these can be millions of possibilities, sometimes it's challenging to go and find if you have, if somewhere in this tree, there exists a private key with Bitcoin stored on it, it can be challenging to go and navigate this tree and find that private key. And so that's the point of common. It could turn out to a point where you're looking for a needle in a haystack. Yeah, it's a needle in a haystack, right? And so the solution to that is we have for certain types of things. So the user, remember, I did native SegWit multisig, right? And so there's a path for that. It's like 0, 48, I forget exactly what it is, like 48, something like that. Uh, and but if it was like wrapped multi-sig. Then it's like slightly different. Instead yes. of a 2 at the end, there's a 1, I think. And uh, there's also a difference in this. There's, there's two types of children. There's like hardened and unhardened children. Uh, this is like really in detail. But a hardened child, if you ever heard of this, it just means that to do that production, you needed the private key. You can't do it from the public key. So like I was talking to Marty earlier. Like when he puts up his store on, on, uh, on BTC Pay, he puts up one of these ones that's a child of an unhardened key because it, to, to create a, you know, a bunch of change addresses to present invoices to his people looking for his... To you freaks. To, to you freaks, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, need, you need these... You need, the, the server shouldn't have access to the private key, right? Because that's the whole point. You don't want this insecure web server to be able to steal my money. Uh, it just has the public keys, so that's unhardened derivation. Hardened derivation is when you have the, public, the private key Unhardened derivation is when you only have the public key. And so the, the big difference in here is like when a private key is involved, that is security. You can lose funds because anybody who has that thing can move, move Bitcoin if, if uh, in a single SIG case, if they have enough of them, they can move it in a multi-SIG case. But if you just have public keys, it's only privacy information. Uh, and you know that bleeds into security a little bit. If someone knows you have a lot of Bitcoin, that becomes a security problem. It's not just a privacy problem. So it, the, the two bleed. Well... If you, has, if you have a situation in which you're in BTC pay server being the example I'm using now where you're creating new invoices with new addresses, uh, I'd like to be able to think that you'll be able to preserve your uh, privacy moving forward. Like, is there, um, so coin selection within wallets right now is a big problem. So that's, that's what leads to the problem you're alluding to. 
is if you take donations and from a bunch of people and then you're going to consolidate them into one UTXO mm-hmm. or whatever, you have the the problem of secu- or privacy when you consolidate those, they know, oh, if you're consolidating them all into you this this UTXO, we can assume that you own or yeah. received all of these UTXOs. Exactly. So that's that's one of the I mean this is one of the I mean it's kind of a different problem than what the the multisig is like more for security. It's like so I can shoot myself twice. It's to make sure nobody can five dollar wrench. I want to I want to be able to take two bullets uh, and still be able to have my money. That's the Three or five. That's why you do three or five. That's why you buy costs. Right now, we're talking about how do we make sure nobody knows exactly how much money I have. Yeah, and so that's a separate problem. Right. And uh, I guess we can sort of like I haven't finished talking about Junction, but let's let's sort of move all on right, to this right. one too. Because no, this is am like, I fucking things up? No, no, no. This is interesting because this okay. is like this is how it is to work in Bitcoin. It's You're like, talking to like a natural idiot here trying no, to think no. through this. This is this is the interesting thing is like this is how I work too. It's like I learn about security. And it's like well, fuck. Then like I learned a little bit more about privacy. and want to move over there. So like. A couple weeks ago, I was at a, a hackathon. It was a shitcoin hackathon. Uh, it was a, a Caitlin Long's uh, cat. That was light shitcoin. It was light. sponsored by Cardano. That's a shitcoin. All right, hackathon. all right, all right, all right. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, I did not know that. All right, heavy uh, shitcoin. Anybody who has, I have a great picture of uh, Charles uh, selling a shitcoin to a bunch of children. Yeah. No. <laughs> In front of a whiteboard. Can we use this? I, as, I just I need the can right we use name this, for. Can it. we use this as the artwork for this episode? Yeah, let's do this it. This will be the only unique artwork for this for any <laughs> episode ever. Uh, yeah, I'm dead so serious. Was, like, remind yourself to send that to me. Okay. That's what we're gonna use. Uh, so yeah, th- I was at a shitcoin hackathon. I'm and, sorry uh, for 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 trying to act like it wasn't a shitcoin hackathon. Yeah. So uh, if and Charlie, so. Me and there's this guy Ben Woosley. He's a really good. He's a core developer. Uh, he's a really really bright guy. And so he was like the one uh, non shitcoiner that knew how to code. Like it was it was in it like uh, well, uh, like Parker Lewis. A couple of my friends were there. And so it was like a good good group of people that were there. Uh, but uh, developer wise, there was just only Ben. So we got together and like, well, what could we build? And so we were both thinking about privacy. It's so like we both use Wasabi. And I know the freaks are big into the Wasabi. Uh, right? They're, they're, I'd like to think they are. I hope I don't know. I hope know. they are. If Matt's, I hope I don't depends know. depends if they listen to Matt, right? If you're big into wasabi, I hope I don't know. If it's, uh, yeah, so... I, no, I mean, yeah. So, I'm, so I'm big into, I've used wasabi pretty heavily. Wasabi is an, uh, a, uh, one, it's an online version of, like, this mixing. So, like, the idea is that certain transactions can, you can look at them and sort of guess what happened, right? If there's, like, uh, one input for one Bitcoin, right? And then a second input for 0.1, and then another one for 0.9. You can kind of guess that someone probably paid 0.1 Bitcoin to someone else and got 0.9 change back. And so one of the ideas here is like, well, let's say instead of that example, let's say you added another input that was like 0.3. So you have one and 0.3. Mm-hmm. And then on the outputs, you don't add a new output, you you uh, increase one of them. So remember, so so. How can you increase an output? Uh, you just give them more money. You you add a little to the in inside, and you add a little to the but outside. How would you increase it without creating an input with it? Uh, so there already is an input. Okay. So like before, there was point one and point nine. Now let's say it's so you're double spending with the change. Is that no, no, no. So we're adding a new input. So, so like somebody else is contributing funds to this transaction oh, and okay. we're giving those funds to one of the pre-existing recipients. Okay. 
And so whereas before it was one Bitcoin and then 0.1 and 0.9, now it's one Bitcoin and 0.3 Bitcoin and there's 0.4 and 0.9. Uh, what the fuck happened? It's hard to say. Like it's no longer so clear that it was a 0.1 Bitcoin payment. And the way you do this is you have the actual, the recipient, the merchant, would be the one who would add this create, 0.3. Create the output. So this is P to so, EP. So, well, right? so he, the, the recipient, the merchant, would add a little bit on the input side and just take a little more on the output side. Okay. So they net the same, but it all of a sudden becomes very hard to see what the nature of the transaction was. To know who ended up with what. Yeah, and so that's the way the, these Is sort this of, P to EP? Uh, this is called pay, uh, pay join. Is this like uh, pay, pay to endpoint? I'm not, I'm not like, totally sure what paid input is, to be honest. Uh, You're not sure? PDEP, so PDEP would be enabled with Schnorr signatures where every, every transaction would basically be a coin, coin join where the recipient, like exactly what you described. Okay, yeah, yeah. So something exactly what gotcha. you described. Gotcha. Yes. So, so uh, yeah, I'm not super up to speed on the, the uh, terminology. This there. was a block stream yeah. proposal like two years ago. I think. Definitely heard of it. Uh, so, but the idea here is it's a simple mechanism that doesn't require a lot of behavior change. Like basically all that has to happen is the merchant has to be able to add a little bit to a transaction and the sender has to still be willing to sign that transaction. Even if they would like the net, the net in their wallet would be the same. The inputs and outputs would be a little different. And this is called a pay join. And so the question was like at the Sackathon, how can we make some software that people would actually start using this smart thing? Like, uh, Waxwing, Adam Gibson is a guy who's written a lot of, on his, uh, he's the, one of the creators of Join Market. He's written a lot about this. Adam, we need to get in the studio. So one of the, one of the questions was like, how do we try to build a, uh, how do we, how, how could we bring these features? How could we make, like popularize these? And so we, we tried to make this thing called Snowball. Uh, it was it, like, the idea is like you'd create a uh, SDK software development kit on iOS and Android. So basically any mobile phone wallet developer could include this. And at the moment of signing and spending a transaction, they would be able to basically broadcast this transaction to people nearby them and see if they want to add an input and an out, a matching input and output to it. Uh, and so one of the, the logical first person would be the, the merchant. So it's like, hey, do you want to tack on an input and an output, like or equal, add equal on each side just to make it more confusing? And like, let's say the uh, bag boy wants to also do it, right? Or like, uh, it could quickly get interesting. Uh, uh, and so that, this is like kind of an interesting take on CoinJoin. And it's different from Wasabi in the fact that it's not online, it's lo local. And so you have a much better guarantee that like, you know, your peers aren't all chain analysis. Uh, because online, it's like anybody can participate and you don't really know who it is. Uh, and so when it's local, it's like, well, I don't know who it is, maybe. I mean, you could, you could design the UI so you do know. You have to actually check on every, if you're at a table and you want to do a coin join, you could check everybody. But if you're doing it in more of a willy-nilly manner, it's like, well, I don't know who they are, but they're 300 yards from me. So unless chain analysis is like, uh, got me on a leash. And then Adam even had a different proposal too, where you could construct a transaction where you send it out and you say, Snicker. hey, yes. Yeah, Snickers. Snickers. So this is, yes. a, this is a problem. This is a uh, so this is one of these things where I'd only know if I ran a meetup because this was on the like stuff that BitDevs Bit did. So I'm like, I got to learn this because I'm going to talk about it. So it's it basically meetup. you send a transaction. It's like, hey, if one of the, the necessary inputs of this transaction accepts it and does it, you have a quasi coin join. 
Yeah, so you can uh, you can look for public keys that are uh, that own UTXOs. So that's kind of the first step. You try to find public keys that own UTXOs, uh, and with these you can say, okay, well I know their public key. I'm going to try to create a transaction. I'm going to I'm going to construct a transaction that they would be able to spend, and I'm going to take an input they own and maybe an input I own. And so those are two inputs, and then we're going to spend to two different outputs, and now no one knows which one's mine, which one's theirs. And so the idea is that you could basically like post these to a forum or something. He doesn't go into detail, but you could sort of like basically somehow send these to that Present other person. To somebody be like, hey, you want a coin join right now? And so it'd be like, like a mailbox, right? Like yeah. you'd have a mailbox, and it's like all these like coin join requests. You'd say, yep, 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 yep. And the cool thing is that you don't have to be online running a server. You just need like a mailbox that you can check up on every once in a while. Yeah, and the dependency is like whether or not the second person is spent or not yet, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, and the hard part is figuring out who, like, what the public keys this actually This coin are. join is possible until that UTXO is spent, right? Yeah, so yeah. most, the hard part is actually figuring out the public key because like most key, keys right now are either in multi-sig or uh, pay to pub key hash. And in those, the public key is not visible. But with Schnorr and uh, Taproot, it'll be more, uh, most of it is going to be basically pay to pub key. In the default case, it'll be kind of pay to pub key. And so you'll know the public key much more readily in that scenario, but you won't necessarily know if it's one person or a bunch of people. Uh, but that's fine. It's so like you can spam this message out over everyone. You can give everyone, hey, I'll, 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 I'll do it with you. And, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's cool because it's non-interactive. Well, that's the thing that confused me at first. I thought you'd be like, ah, oh, like for this particular setup, you'd have to know somebody's UTXO and present this coin join to them where it's sort of passive, right? Yeah, so you, you'd need to know that some that there is a UTXO. You don't need to know who owns the UTXO. You need to know that there is somebody with XYZ pub key that owns this UTXO. And then you, you'd need some way, the paper doesn't really go over it, but you need some way to basically broadcast this to everybody such that the owner would be able to discover this. Which could be like a third party. Could party be whatever website. the hell you it want. It could be a wet, like Craigslist. It Craigslist could be whatever you want. Yeah. You want to come Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a market facilitation type of thing. And uh, so that, that would be really interesting. So So yeah, it's like... This has been one of my experiences is like you get deeper into the security and it's like you're like, oh, well, now you start to have better ideas on the like this. I don't know. This location based coin joint, I think, is an interesting idea and someone should build it. Uh, and like it would be cool if like when we got together tonight, we'd be like, uh, let's you know, pour a drink and uh, let's do a coin joint. Like just like that would be cool. Like when you go to a conference. Isn't that what Ricochet is for, though? Like what's isn't that what Samurai is working on? Isn't that what they want I, to do? I haven't actually used Ricochet. I haven't either. Yeah, I, I don't so, have an Android. I don't have an Android. That's yeah, so uh, I gotta I gotta look into uh, uh, Samurai's stack a little more, but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the privacy front, and I feel like it's not terribly explored. Uh, and I mean, the other tough thing about privacy is that there's, I mean, on the one hand, it seems like there isn't a big market for it, but like I think Wasabi did like something like eighty million dollars in transactions, so they they only get like point oh one percent of those. Because it's like I think their model is point like three zeros and then a three uh, per anonymity set, basically per person that participates in your coin join. So, uh, so they, they actually have a business, which is cool. I didn't like when I got into Bitcoin. I didn't expect that there would be a business for providing privacy to people. And it sounds like Wasabi is actually able to make it work. And that's to me that's like quite inspiring. Like as an independent developer, like I think about these. Like there's there's one route where it's like you know you go run to San Francisco and try to get a bunch of funding, uh, and, you, and then you end up you know doing shit coins and all kinds of stuff, uh, and then there's another route that's more like a cold card or a wasabi wallet, 
And it's like somehow these guys managed to create a business model that works uh, and is only Bitcoin and provides like real security or privacy services uh, to the thing that really matters. And like those are pretty inspiring business models to me. I'd, I'd love to find a way to like find something like that, you know? They're incredibly inspiring. I think you'd have to lose your name and your face and your everything, right? Like they're taking on extreme amount of risk, right? From a regulatory perspective. But actually, no. Like I mean, I think wasabi I, might be, but I don't think a cold. Card that's what I was going to. That's what I was gonna say. Wasabi, wasabi, like Napara, love them. Like love you, Napara. You're putting your neck out there, though. That's right. Like yeah, I, I really admire it. Yeah. To be honest. Like, no, I do as well, and it's. It's beautiful to see the passion that like comes out, right? Yeah. Like, why? Why are people like? We shouldn't need to feel passion to support these people. These should be these should be inalienable rights. What it gets inalienable like, rights, inalienable. It gets and into like what motivates these people to do it. It's like when I look at myself, it's like it, it would be much smarter for me to go work at U.S. Bank or something or like uh, Google and like I just, can't imagine you and as stack a sats, right? And stack sats, but I can't. I just like I cannot do it. Uh, like there's something, yeah, it's like. what. So what part of, like, and I agree, I am the same person. Like I cannot do it either. What What is it of us? Is it our need to feel important or is it a, a, a sincere drive towards something that is sincere? Do you think we, we are just assholes that like, hey, I need attention. I want to be the guy that fucking owns Probably this part world. of it, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of it for me is just like this will to sort of like independence and self-determination, right? Like that's, uh, I think that's what draws me to Bitcoin. It's like, I want to be my own man and I want to like uh, be the captain of my own fate. And uh, could you not do that in the, the uh, incumbent system? I think I can, but uh, I think that the uh, Bitcoin financial world would make that a lot easier for everyone and that's more appealing uh like a world where uh i mean it's like it's it's more dependent on like producing value because value can be stored rather than uh sort of like you know uh bullshitting value yeah whatever it is now it's like i I just think that would be a a a better world where people could really like determine their own fate a little more so that's i think that's what attracts me to it yeah me too like i feel and again like that's why i had to posit like are we just assholes like i just feel like a lot of the world is like wandering aimlessly like what the fuck are we doing just like i don't know i don't know we're drunk now. We uh, we officially finished the bottle of. Uh, so let me let me let me continue Angel's giving the, let me continue giving the pitch on Junction, which uh, we, oh, we yes. sort of like we sort of been dropping uh, hints and. So let's give the full Junction pitch. From yeah. The so the idea is like it's a, uh, a desktop app for working with uh, uh, for using hardware wallets, and the hardware wallets are in charge of the private keys, which is what they're good at. But uh, they don't know anything about the blockchain. They don't know anything about what your balances are, what transactions you control, or how to create a transaction, what they're allowed to spend, what they're not allowed to spend. That's what Bitcoin Core is really good at. That's what Bitcoin Core does, uh, watches the blockchain. It can also do private keys, but it's not actually the, it's probably not the right tool for that. 
So, uh, so that's, that's the idea of Junction is it's a, uh, a desktop app that could help you connect these two. Uh, so you could create like, you know, you could use single sig with one hardware wallet and use Bitcoin Core to monitor the blockchain. That can be running in your nodal or your Casa node. I don't, I don't know if it'll actually work with these when eventually, but uh, it, you know, like something like that in the corner of your house, uh, that will keep track of your balances but actually the ability to spend the balances will be on these private keys, which you can, uh, if you have one, you can store it you know, in a safe. If you have three, you can store one with uh, an attorney, with one with a safety deposit box, one at home. If you have five, you get more and more uh, uh, dials to you know, sort of configure it for yourself. And, uh, and so that's, that's the idea with, with Junction is uh, like it would be really easy to uh, set up a single SIG or especially a multi-SIG uh, set up that uh, where you, you actually have control over consensus. Like this is a problem with uh, most, like by default, Electrum outsources consensus to other people. Uh, some of these like collaborative custody models where you uh, have a group help you, like provide some software for you to, uh, to set up a multi-sig and they hold onto one of your keys. Generally those are all, uh, you outsource uh, consensus to them. Uh, and like even the Casa node uh, is actually just for Lightning. It's not for a consensus for your multisig. Uh, and so this, the idea here is like, I want consensus where it fucking matters on my multisig. Uh, and uh, and uh, so yeah, th th that's the idea is like, you know, set up a multisig with, with your node and that's it. So. And I think what you're like teasing at right now too is like the intricacy of the software and how to interact with it. Like you can set it up where it's leveled and securitized in a way Yeah, where it is, gives you better peace of mind at the end of the day. Right? Exactly. Like that's the whole point of multi-sig. It just, to me, it makes it like the chances that you lose your key on single sig are very low, like less than 1% probably or something uh, for most people. Uh, but it's like, there's a chance there's like one, it's like you always in the back of your mind know that one thing can wipe you out. And so it's like, like, let's say you have a price run up. The whole price run up in the back of your mind is going to be like, man, I, I hope when I go to spend this, I'm safe. It like ruins your, that, that whole thing for you. And if you have some more redundancy, you know, like, well, I mean, I would have to really fuck up. Like, if I fuck up twice in this thing and lose two keys, like, I would almost deserve to lose my coins, right? Like, that's the situation you want. You want where, uh, like so much would have to go wrong that you'd have trouble believing it. Like that's where you want to find yourself in. And then you can, you know, then you're a lot more relaxed. So what did I see when you're given the visual demo of the two hardware wallets connected to each other? So when you create a, a wallet injunction, you have to like, the idea is that uh, a wallet is a, a set of signers. Uh, it's just like basically public keys that will be able to sign for transactions. And so you register these by like, you, know, you plug in your cold card and that guy says, hey, I'll be a signer. And uh, this is eventually how Bitcoin Core will work. Shores Provost has like a very work in progress, uh, progress thing that, you know, will probably go in in like two years. So like you add signers, right? Like your treasure, your ledger, and you kind of plug these ones in, unlock them, and they, they will basically contribute a public key. Once you have like, let's say three public keys and two of three master public keys, these are like these public key factories, then you can go and create, use each of these like public key factories in, uh, se separately to create their first child, for example, uh, and use those first children to create a multi-sig receiving address. And so the, the key thing is, is in this uh, like ceremony, 
to set up the wallet, you really want uh, each one of these hardware wallets to uh, know the identities of the other participants. And the big problem is right now only the cold card can do this. Uh, only the cold card uh, has the ability to like upload, say, hey, I'm in a multi-sig setup. These are the three devices. These were the derivation paths, and these were the public keys that were created at that derivation path that are like these like public key factories. And if you know those, then given any uh, address that was uh, uh, that should be spendable by this wallet, uh, the hardware wallet, the cold card, the treasure of the ledger, should be able to actually validate that that will be spendable. They can say, hey, I can derive that private key, uh, and I will be able to spend this. Uh, and that's really important, and, uh, and so, the, the, the main job of a tool like Junction is to sort of facilitate this initial ceremony uh, to make sure that each device can sort of commit to the participants in this sort of like a contract, this like multi-sig party. And uh, it's a problem because right now only the cold card actually implements this ability. And uh, the ledger, I don't think, can really check anything. And the trezor can check that it is one of the keys, right? So. For a three or five, you can say, hey, I'm one of these keys. But the other five, like you'd actually have to go to every one of these to check for, to, to if you were doing a like three or five with trezors, you would uh, need to go and actually visit the location of each one of the five, and that's a nightmare. And so on the cold card, once, once you initiate this multi-sig at inception, each device has a uh, an ID basically associated with that the cold card cold card that the cold card can confirm the other ideas of the other devices the other devices cannot confirm basically their, yeah their own ids let alone other sort of ideas. the the yeah the id the ID, you have like a an id that's sort of like an identifier of which key it came from and then also this public key that is used to create these child public keys which go into addresses and uh yeah the cold card is the only one that can really verify that so like you know junction will take this point of view like you know maybe Cold card should be the one that you have at home because that you can you know use to res, uh, validate receiving addresses, and uh, I don't know maybe it could uh, like it's still early like it's it's just getting to the point now where I think by the time this is posted I'll have uh, Linux and Windows binaries that you can like you can go double click on and run, and uh, like it's at the point now where you can uh, set up this wallet you can register signers it works for Trezor Ledger cold card. Bitbox and KeepKey should be supportable very quickly. BitBoy and uh, Crypto Advanced Spectre will both be supported, so it'll be able to do like QR code air gaps. These hobbyist wallets will be uh, supported, and so uh, so yeah, the uh, that's that's so it supports three now. It can set up a, a native Segwit or a wrapped Segwit, meaning like Segwit, so you get the discount, but wrapped is meaning you get a legacy address, so that if if the people paying you it's have got a three in the front. Yeah, it's got a three in the front uh, instead of a, a BC. B-I. Yeah, BC. Yeah. BC. Uh, so people with shitty old wallets or even like Bitmax uh, can spend to that, right? So that's the uh, that's the, uh, the yeah, tis, value. Let's test test on Bitmax right now, huh? Uh, let's test test on Bitmax right now. Yeah, well, I mean, what's going on? I've heard that. I mean, this is the tough thing though. Like, uh, like what is the business case for them to do that? Like. People, like, if people are using their platform, they're either so drowning in money, they're, they're either making so much money they don't care about the discount of Segwit, or they're losing so much money they don't care about the discount of Segwit. It's tough because, like, so this is a big problem I have with myself. It's like I'm thinking about all these, like, super advanced, 
signing ceremonies for multi-sig and like what well, can validate what here's and then the, the big exchanges don't even use segwit like am i just on am i on cloud nine just completely oblivious to the real world so yeah so for those of you who don't know the uh, particular pain point at which we're coming at bitmex right now is the fact that uh the way i understand it they use the same receiving address for all accounts so if you are able to trade on BitMEX and you're going to send Bitcoin to BitMEX, you have the same address for your account that you send Bitcoin to mm-hmm. in perpetuity. So if you've been on the exchange for two years, you've been expending, you've been sending Bitcoin to it for two years, you've been sending to the same address. Um, but I don't even care about BitMEX in particular. I'm going to go back more to the conversation we were having earlier. Like, does this all get abstracted for us at some point? Like, do we even have to worry about? Uh, like unique address creation and uh, interacting with other wallets and shit like that. Like, is this all early stage pain points that will be overcome in your mind? Uh, like, will all this UX be abstracted? Over I think you can trade the. Uh, I think you can trade the uh, difficulty of verifying for trust. Like, you can have somebody sort. Of, you can trust somebody to take care of it for you. Like if you if you go to some company that helps you set up a multi-sig, that's basically what you're doing. You're outsourcing a like threat model to them. Like you figure out what's you know what's a threat, what isn't. Uh, you're gonna outsource that to them, uh, and so you trust them. And uh, I think that's the way it works. Like if you really want to know for sure, or to if you want to maximize the chances that a given set of funds are safe somebody's got to really pay attention to that. And then other people are going to trust that person. And that's rational because not everyone is going to be a security expert. And uh, some people are more talented at this than others. And like, that's the beauty of like specialization of of labor. Uh, But someone's got to do it. And then you don't want that person to be trusted too much, right? Like you don't want them, that person or that group of people to have 10% of the coins or 5% of the coins. Like you'd, you'd, you'd like them to, you know, these, these trusted people to have, smaller chunks but i think i think always like you do you're, you're never going to get like really good you're never going to exercise the benefits of bitcoin like this trust trust minimize i shouldn't say trustless trust minimized value transfer without zebo is not happy works. about trustless hmm? zebo is not happy about trustless yeah so trust minimize like you're, you're not going to get this without understanding how it works because it's like in order to actually like go down the list and say yeah i'm not trusting them i'm not trusting them you have to know what's going on so, uh, so I think like this can be, I mean, I mean, I'm a big, I, I think that a lot of this stuff will work. I think there will be a lot of like custodial successful stuff in the future. Like, you know, visas and MasterCards running on Bitcoin and all that, all that. Uh, I think there will be a lot of custodial things. That's in the blasphemous future. motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, like, uh, I just, I think they'll lose their privileged position as a, uh, you know, uh, there will be competitors to them, and so they'll, they'll, they won't be as much of a monopoly as they are now. Uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, but I like you know, for a lot of people, for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, you don't. I mean, you don't need trust minimized. Uh, you want the trust minimization for like really large transfers, uh, for stuff like validation of money supply. To know that you actually that that what you have now, the percentage you have now, is going to be. You want to be able to predict what percentage of the of the total supply you're going to own in like 10 years 20 years 30 years like that's the really the important thing when you're thinking about like bitcoin is like do i believe that like if i buy one bitcoin that i will own one 21 millionth of the supply in 30 years roughly right 
yeah so like that's the that's i mean that's this is one of like the kind of it's like do you have to trust somebody for that to happen or is this like a natural game of incentives and once we get over that question without learning no no you can't you can't but what is the the threshold for learning at which it becomes a known fact that you can have confidence in the system that's what i'm curious about now like is there a threshold? Will there ever be a threshold? Will there always be, uh, not doubting, but questioning of mm-hmm. the, the security and efficacy of the system? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. Like, in the early days, like, the first people to really adopt it were cryptographers because, like, they didn't have to outsource the trust in somebody. They could actually verify themselves, right? And so, like, maybe a hard money guy, a sound money guy would or somebody would, would be interested, but they wouldn't be able to do the due diligence that it actually works, but the, cryptog- the cryptographer was able. Uh, and so, you know, after that, like these people, like Greg Maxwell's of the world became, you know, it's like they sort of became established. And then like somebody who comes at it from more of like, like safety and perspective, it's like he can sort of outsource that to them and be like, you know, they, they if, if they say it works, I'll believe them and I'm not going to have to do all that research. And so it, it sort of like begs the question of, yeah, like what, uh, like the people who are coming in now, it's like, it's been clear for a while now that there are like technical experts who uh, like vouch for the fact that the system works as expected. But like, I guess the question now is like whether that is worth something. And that's the, that's like the thing that the current people are betting on. And, uh, and yeah, so like, I think now it's like, you can kind of, you can kind of say that it, it works. I mean, I guess one of the big questions is whether something would work better. Right. Like that's always the thing that comes up in conversations is like, well, uh, could you swap out some feature of Bitcoin and make it more private or something? Well, I guess uh, the biggest question you have to answer to answer that question is how much of an improvement is Bitcoin to the incumbent system? Right. Like uh, we're talking orders of magnitude uh, of an improvement over the incumbent system. What is better uh, compared to that when it's different things to different people and I, we were talking about this earlier it's like well we're talking about kind of how bitcoin could fail and like there's like two really big value propositions i think bitcoin has to be like one it's like this scarcity right it's like harder it's it's uh you have a you have a you have a better guarantee than gold that your slice of the pie is is getting no smaller it's finite yeah, yeah that like you, you you have a lower bound on the slice the size of the, your slice in the pie and that's what a certain class of people are really interested in. And then there's another thing. It's where like, well, uh, I want to make a transaction. No one can stop this transaction. Or I want to make a transaction and, or I made this transaction and no one knows I made this transaction. That's another value proposition. Uh, Bitcoin, these are sort of like unrelated. You know, like people speculate as to which one Satoshi really valued and which one he used as like the, uh, the sort of prototype or... Well, it's sort of like the, the, the implant mechanism, the mechanism of like implanting this idea in people. And I guess uh, the, thing I, the thing I sort of worry about is we'll get the, we'll get the scarcity. Uh, we'll get the scarcity, but we won't get the censorship the resistance. Or like the, so yeah, the, it's like you'll get the Austrian side of Bitcoin, but you won't get the, the cypherpunk side. This is exactly where I wanted to end it because what you started it with before we hit record, like that's what you're worried about. Like how does... Let's walk through this. So, pause the question again. Uh, what happens if we get the the Austrian uh, Garden Eve 
or Garden of Eden, uh, but that comes at the cost of our privacy being completely bastardized. Yeah. Like, how do you get the Austrian and the cypherpunk dream all in one? Yeah, so I don't want to scaremonger here. I don't want to say I'm, like, terrified of it, but it's like, it's like when you think about, like, what, what would you be concerned about? Like, this is the thing I get concerned about. I, I, I get concerned of a scenario where I would characterize it as, like, a big win. It's, like, scarcity hell, the supply cap hell, like, a fee market developed, all these great things, but, like, somehow... Uh, and like, you know, the ability of governments to rule over us was diminished because they couldn't collect taxes and uh, print money as easily. And, uh, and so all these great things happened, but like everything is still out in the open. We did we sort of like collectively chose to ossify the protocol quickly. And uh, yeah, and it's like this digital gold dream, but uh, sort of like everything you do is public knowledge and uh, not so much government states have a, a control over you with this manner, but like, you know, for-profit entities. Well, capital, self-censorship. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. like, the, it, it fits into surveillance capitalism, future of the world. So that's one of the things that I am, like, I don't want to say I'm worried about it, but it's like, if you ask me, how could Bitcoin fail? Like, that's one of the things I think of is like, well, it would be a great success. We'd all be happy. Like, the people who are inter- into it now, we'd all be like deliriously happy, but like, that's not what we want. That's not what we set out to do. I don't know if I'd be deliriously happy with that. Like, I yeah. want both. I want both. I know, but, like, I can just, knowing people, it's like, if the investment games came by, we'd all change, you know? Like, that's the, that's the thing I sort of fear. Like, no, I agree. I agree. Like, at a point, like, when you're set, like, why, why, why disrupt yeah, the status quo? Yeah, you get spoiled. So that's, that's, the, that's the way. So I, I guess I want to, like, I, I had this... Uh, uh, tweet a while ago that and people didn't really like it, but I thought it was just like uh, it's like Bitcoin. Uh, uh, it's like maybe Bitcoin uh, can't fail, but it's 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 one of these ideas like uh, maybe Bitcoin can't fail, but only if none of us believe it. It's it's one of those ideas where it's like maybe it's true that Bitcoin can't fail, but only if none of us believe it. Like if we believe that and if we get complacent, uh, it's probably it, it might not be true. Like, like so, so Peter Thiel gave an example. Like only an idea, like us feigning it being alive. Would so there's this great. There's I got this idea from Peter Thiel. He had like a, he had a, like somebody who he worked with who is like a, he's, he's saying the graduation ceremony at Yale. Basically, they were saying like, hey, you have your whole life set for you. Like this was the no, not the graduation, like the freshman introduction thing. And they're like, hey, you're set for life. Uh, like you're you've succeeded. You're set for life. Like congrats that's what they said to the freshmen it's like maybe that's one of the things that's true only if none of the freshmen believe that because if they believe that it'll corrupt them right and so i think a similar thing is maybe true of bitcoin where it's like hey maybe it's true that it, it will succeed but like we we can't assume you, you can't assume your head succeed. on a swivel you need to ex- exactly. assume the worst exactly uh i don't want to end it here i'm gonna pee i'll be right back we're not ending it we're not ending it i'm gonna pee. right uh 153 53 when Marty, when Marty, uh, one of the things I've learned is that when Marty uh, starts talking into the uh, into the mics, <laughs> seeing timestamps, this is this is the moment that he always forgets happened. Uh, so yeah, just in case this makes it in the interview. <laughs> we just ripped it back from a piss break. We're almost two hours in. Yeah, and I got a, in three hours, I got a flight to 
Copenhagen. <laughs> like, do you want to get to the airport? Three and a half hours. I got plenty of time. Like, uh, let's get back. Let's get back into the story of Justin Moon. How's your year been? Like, what? Uh, like you've had. Uh, it seems. Yeah. So I was talking about this earlier. It was like it's like surviving in the Bitcoin economy, right? Like I don't think we talked about this on the on the show yet. It's like. Uh, I mean, I've always had jobs, right? And you have a boss and you have an employer and it's like this big hierarchical structured thing and uh, like your life is sort of arranged for you and you eat out of a, you eat out of a trough basically and it's great. Uh, and so when I got into Bitcoin, it's like I, I was like, I'm going to start this class, right? And like, I didn't think anybody would sign up. I started it for free and people started signing up and it's like pretty soon I had all these like individuals who were paying me to provide the service to them. And I never like actually had that with like individual people where it's like I'm accountable to people. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, like Galt's Gulch or whatever. It's like you have these like, they're making your tires. You're going to tell them if you don't like the tires, they're going to like try to give you the best tire they can deliver. It's like, it's, it's, uh, it's great to like, there, there's a certain feeling of aliveness when you have this way of making a living. You like make individual people happy rather than like fit into some uh, industrial nation state apparatus and really do shit all with your life. Uh, you can make a great living that way, but like you don't ever serve individuals. And so, uh, so that's been like the story of my last year is like finding ways to serve individuals for the beginning it was these classes. Uh, and more recently it's been starting to like, you know, more consulting uh, and stuff. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can find a way to either continue the education or find a way to help people use Bitcoin more easily. But yeah, that's, uh, that's been like the really interesting thing is like, it's like, it's like an eat what you want. Like I was saying earlier, it's like an eat what you kill world. It's like, you have to, oh, I'm so happy we got that quote on here. Yeah. It's like an eat, eat what you kill. It's like, uh, you're not fed. You have to go get it. And there's like, you feel more alive when you live that life. And, that's been sort of my experience of one year in the Bitcoin economy. And there's been some ups and some downs. I mean, I've certainly lost a little hair along the way. <laughs> you're looking good, dude. I'm looking good, but it's been, I mean, it's like stressful when you're like, uh, you know, you're, you're doing all this shit and, you know, you're not really, uh, like, I feel like I'm finally qualified to teach. I've, like, I've been, I've been teaching a class for a year and I'm finally now qualified to teach the class. What would you say to all those out there who are a bit apprehensive to... Uh, lurk out of the shadows to put their voice out there to put their voice forward about what they think about Bitcoin. Like you were somebody, you are somebody, not were somebody, you are somebody I respect very highly in the Bitcoin space. And the fact that you're trying to teach others, I think the humility of realizing that, Oh my God, I need to teach myself on this journey to teach others is something that everybody needs to hear. So like, how do you overcome that? Uh, maybe embarrassment of, oh my God, I'm supposed to be teaching these motherfuckers. I don't even know this right now. Like, yeah, I mean, there's not a good answer to that. Like I can think of a few times, like a few times I did a meetup, like uh, I'll just say this. The first time like Jimmy song came to my meetup, I was like, oh, this is great. You know? And like, I tried to give a talk and I like, fuck, I fucked it up big time. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was disappointing. Jimmy's sitting front row and I fuck it up big time. And it's like, ah, you just, you just, uh, I can think of a few more, but like, like, like fuck ups, right? You just, you just keep going. Eat the L's. You just eat it. Yeah. You just eat it and you, you bleed a little bit and it's like, I'll keep going. Uh, so it's like, yeah, that's the, I think that's the way it is. It's, do you think that has anything to do with your disagreeableness that you're like, fuck, like I got to prove everybody that probably know. has quite a lot to do with it, to be honest. What do you mean in that way? Uh, 
Well, uh, maybe like the... Uh, what does it mean to be disagreeable? Because I feel like I don't disagree with you on many things. Uh, so it's, I think it's about uh, where, uh, which external opinions you'll put value in. So I think there's a lot of people whose opinions I don't care about at all. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, you just don't, uh, care. You don't, you, you don't like that. That's not valuable to you. And you, you like put value into the few people that you maybe. That doesn't go into your input output system. That's yeah. So it's like the opposite of politeness, I guess. Like, yeah. you know, like politeness is like you try to take the, cons- taking into consideration the opinions of everybody and, uh, disagree, you know, be more disagreeable. It's like indifference would it be disagreeableness or indifference more. I think both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that's the, uh, I don't know. That's the, like, so I, I, I'm in a weird position cause it's like my interest in Bitcoin is pure, almost purely from like a hodler, uh, like store of value, like hard money point of view. But it's like, I've, I've made a living. So that's one point of view. And then there's the other point of view, like that's safety. Right. And the other side is like Serge Katia, Katia or whatever his name is. Or how, how do you pronounce his name? Like brilliant. Uh, I think he's CEO of BitRefill. And so he has this he's CEO of Bieber. Yeah. yeah, search. Yeah. Yeah. So he has this great uh, point of view where it's like, well, no, we need, we don't just want store value. We need to build the circular economy. Right. And he's very articulate on that point of view, just like safe is with the store value. And so it's like, I come at it from safe's point of view more, but like my life actually living it out has been more on the search point of view. It's like, I'm the recipient of people who are participating in the circular Bitcoin economy. They're willing to pay me oftentimes in Bitcoin to uh, per, like to help them defend themselves in this, uh, world in this bitcoin world and uh and so that's been an interesting experience uh and i'm very happy that you brought the dichotomy of surge and safe in particular and the dichotomy of using bitcoin as a medium of exchange and as a store of value in particular because as somebody who's using it for both cases right now like it works for both like yeah. i and this is something i tweeted out earlier today that's all you finish it finish it the 87% of all the transactions we've ever accepted on TFTC.io have been Lightning Network transactions. Yeah. Thousands and thousands. Like 87% That's are cool. Lightning transactions from the Lightning Network. They make up total 9% of the value we've accepted. So uh, another way you could put it is 13 It's 90-10, yeah. Yeah, so the other way you could put it is 13% of the transaction we accepted have been on-chain, yeah. but they've accounted for 91% of the value. Yeah. And, but you can see, uh, just in that use case in particular with our website, the interact not that use case, the interaction with our website in particular, less people are able to donate money on-chain to us or less move less likely to move UTXOs on-chain to us. Uh, but when they do, they, they'll invest a lot and then counter, counter that you have more people able to spend 10 cents with us every day. One of the fascinating things about lightning versus other cryptocurrencies is that the people who use it have actually no natural financial incentive to use it. Like an Ethereum person is like, you know, pump my coin. Like I'm using DeFi. I'm, I'm like, uh, but like, I don't think Ethereum's really like the, re- I mean, people are not, lightning, let's say like. It's like the people who are using Lightning aren't using it to like pump the price of Bitcoin. I don't think like that's not that doesn't go I'm into generally the, trying to create new experiences. On the so, internet. Yeah, it's like it's this is the interest. This is one of the differentiators about Bitcoin versus like everything else in the scene. It's like these people are sort of just doing it out of just like innate love for 
quote, uh, and almost gratitude, quote unquote innovation. On, almost gratitude for the change that Bitcoin brought to their life. And they're, they're like, I look at it as gratitude. It's like, they're like, I am so grateful for what Bitcoin has done to me. I'm going to like sort of like participate in this thing called lightning. I don't make anything from it. Like I don't, it's, uh, I don't gain from it. And that's one of the really, that's, I think that's one of the things that's really fascinating well, about lightning. To, that's for the me. intention I went into it with. Yeah. That's we, yeah. That's what I went to it. with. We've it's actually like, gained stuff. Like, yeah. Like even though like it's 87% of the total amount of transactions that we received, but only 9% of the value mm-hmm. that 9% is still value that we would have not have otherwise exactly. had in the overhead for, making that overhead uh excuse me the overhead for making that uh value acceptable is minimal yeah i mean that's one of the other like uh the thing that's interesting to me about like i'm always on the fence about lightning because it's like on the one hand i feel like it doesn't solve a problem i have or a problem that exists like the problem it solves is fee pressure and that problem doesn't exist yet so it's like well do i get excited about that uh it doesn't solve a problem that exists in my point of view but it solves a problem that will exist if if this if the future plays out like I expect it to. Well, it depends on uh, where the fee pressure is coming from, right? Like mm-hmm. as a transactor, like I want as low fee pressure as possible. But as somebody who's as, as a, hodler, a minor, as hodler, you want a little bit better. Yes, as a hodler, as a, you as want more. Minor. As a minor, you want more because you yeah. want more assurances that it'll yeah. be secure over time. But yeah. if we're able to, mm, so. With Lightning in particular and fees in particular, I believe that Lightning will lead to a um, Jevons paradox, right? Where the utility of the Lightning network leads to underlying demand of the need to open channels, mm-hmm. which leads to higher fees. Yeah. Do you fall? Yeah, yeah, no, it's like, well? uh, I mean, I was just reading the, uh, this like interesting, I was, I was like trying to catch up on Taproot. This is like, I'm going to go off a little bit, but come back. Go off, go off. Uh, and so it's like, uh, uh, Peter Wula had this like interesting kind of way of uh, describing like a blockchain system. It's like sort of like this perfect court where uh, it's like, I think he called it the court model or something where it's like, it would always ru- rule fairly, uh, uh, you know, based on what it was. And that's, that's sort of like the way he, he described uh, the blockchain. And so the, the point is, is that it's not so much important that everybody has the ability to go to court because most people don't go to court, like in a legal situation. But the ability to go to court, like the threat of a court appearance makes it so most people can dictate certain actions. Yeah. And so like in the Taproot case, it's like uh, there'd be like the sort of like cooperative case where most people agree. And then like the uh, other cases. The arbitration. Yeah. There's like the, the, the backups wouldn't ever have to be displayed to the chain because you'd always have the option of uh, falling back on those. So it's like this ability. It's, it's like the presence of, of a plan B makes it so like plan A is sort of more lethal. And so I, th- I think that's a lot of the way like I view lightning is it's like, I tend to think more custodial things will become really popular, uh, that a lot of people do that. But like, I think, I think that like the presence of like a lightning, like if any of the custodians ever sort of like start, uh, uh, like this is, this is for like, you know, paying for restaurant, like paying for your McDonald's, like this is not, a really Cold important storage, transaction. Yeah, yeah, this is not like a really important thing. This is just like buying food, right? For that level of transaction, I think there will be probably like trusted third parties. And I wouldn't care one bit if a trusted third party knew where I ate or what plane I flew on uh, most of the time, right? But the thing is, is that the presence of a lightning network is like this court. It's like, hey, I will go to court if you abuse me. 
uh, and lightning is there, and I got a node, and like, and and so I mean, maybe so I would. I'm a maybe, juror in this court. At the yeah, maybe right. someone like me would use it all the time, but like, I think the presence of this court, like it's lightning, cool. that anybody can access, is going to make it so the custodians behave better. It's a check, check and balance, basically. Basically, yeah, that's, a, that's the way I do it. It's a leverage card. Yeah. Fuck, dude. <laughs> We need to do this more often. <laughs> I, I, gotta, I gotta come out here more. I mean, I, I love New York. Like, uh, every once in a while. I mean, until, like, I, I love it until you guys tell me what rent you pay. I always ask, and I'm like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I can buy a castle for that in Austin, man. It's not fun, dude. Yeah. It's not fun. Fuck, dude. No, I've been, I, I love sitting down with you. And again, we, we sat down, what, three, four weeks ago? Yeah, that was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I think you approach this different than anybody. I'm so happy that... Uh, no, that's good. That's interesting to hear. No, I do. I know, you never know how original... You never know if, if your ideas well, are... you're if, a perfect example of something like... Everybody likes to talk to talk like, oh, I didn't know how it worked until I actually got down. Like, you created a BitBoy. Like, you're creating this desktop software yeah. that, that verifies that your address is part of the five of th- three of five multisig, like... You are actually getting your fucking feet dirty. You're getting your hands yeah, dirty. Yeah, trying. You're getting I mean, into it. So this is uh, the thing. I think multi-sig is the biggest, like, okay. Okay, so. Here we go. I'm embarrassed myself here. I think Bitcoin multi-sig is the biggest problem that exists on the planet. Like, I think it is, I think the ability to store Bitcoins in a multi-sig is, like, so much more important than global warming, than wars, than, like, anything else. Uh, so it's, like, I'm absolutely compelled to work on this problem. And my, my question is, like, how to work on it. Like, I've been working on my, by myself. Now I'm starting to work with some companies. It's like, uh, I don't know, just making the, uh, I've been learning to meet some of these protocol developers. Like, that's the big thing in the last month of my life is I've learned to use IRC. So I can actually go and, like, talk to these core devs now. <laughs> They're like, oh, dude, where have you been, man? So I had a, I had a thing with my, like, uh, junction where I wanted a certain feature, and, like, I complained about it on Stack Overflow, and Peter Wula answered. It's like, yeah, this could be implemented in the descriptor language. And it's like, I had no way to, like, like hit on a door and be like, do it! Peter, what is the descriptor language? And so, fine, so finally, like, Shores Provost, this other core contributor, like, basically made the stink that I didn't know how to make, and he got it implemented by Andrew Chow. And it's, so, so it's like... It's a kind of like learning how to uh, navigate this landscape where it's like, hey, I have some features I want. Uh, how do you get that? How Central, do you make that happen? Centralization. I mean, it's, it's governance. No, it's governance. It's like, uh, it's interesting. Like, like these first few, like the last couple of months, I've, I've been participating in governance a little bit. And I mean, yeah, it's like, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, it's very human. Like, how like, the, like the, the way these, these sort of like new changes go into Bitcoin is like a message is sent from one person to another and it's like something that the recipient says, that's a good idea and I'm going to try to do it. And it's like, it sort of like has to pass a series of gates, right? Like when this, I, I'm talking about the sorted multi-descriptor, like this is very detailed. Uh, and so it's like interesting, like this, you know, someone tells Andrew Chow to do it, like I've, I made us think about it. No one here heard. And then, uh, and so it, it sort of like goes by and then like, you know, it becomes a pull request on GitHub and like all the main people have to check off on it. And, uh, you know, anybody, anybody saying no could stop it. And uh, so it's like, it's sort of interesting to see how it, it, it sort of happens like these. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't really have a point here, but it's, it's like interesting to watch. To me, the interesting but thing is how, hum- point. is how human it is. Like it's exactly. actually individuals working together 
and then uh, individuals reviewing, like it's not, it's, uh, yeah, it's a very individual, like the interactions are one-to-one -one versus like sort of like a board, it's very different from like a boardroom. Like that's one of the really interesting things. It's, it, yeah, it's like sort of nothing really, in, Bitcoin is like very different from a boardroom, like the way uh, governance happens. Because often it's between individual people. Because you have the shareholders basically being able to uh, confirm what the boardroom wants to instill, right? Sure, sure. The shareholders being the full sure. nodes. But right? the actual, the actual, uh, the way the code is updated is like oftentimes very much like one-to-one -one, like developers like making comments back and forth. It's like a very important pull request and it's like, uh, you know, it's like Matt Corallo and uh, John oh, Newberry yeah. going back and forth. And it's like you, you read through it and it's like these two going at it. And, uh, and that's sort of like is the distillation of the entire governance process is like these two individuals get nominated to like, but to, well, to, to lock horns a little bit. Did they even get nominated or did they just step up the lock horns? Right? So, so like the same, those are the same thing in my view. Uh, what do you mean? Like you can self-nominate? Like uh, how, how come Justin Moon kind of a... In a, in a system, uh, uh... Yeah, I mean, I think you can self-nominate. Like the 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 most uh, in a system based on like uh, production, it's like in a system where people are free to produce, like the most productive participants will be extremely obvious. Like if everyone is free to participate on equal grounds, like you'll have a few people that sort of rise to the top, and those so people, people just naturally step back and like, hey, sure. I mean, this like, is obvious. yeah. I mean, uh, when it comes to protocol development, it's such a narrow skill. It's like you need to learn, like if you know how much Matt Corella knows about how Linux does networking, like you would, you would like barf, like he knows so much. <laughs> you would barf. Uh, you know, like these people, uh, how much Peter Wula knows about uh, bit manipulation and like, abs like algebra or something, like uh, it's, it's just amazing. And so it's, it's like a highly specialized skill and it's not something that everyone should learn. Like it's, it's not, not something that not only should everybody not only should everybody not have to learn, but like it would be uh, ridiculous to even attempt to believe that everybody could learn. This yeah, thing. it's a highly, highly specialized skill. And so I do think it's a process where like, it's sort of like out of, it's, it's cool. It's like out of all of the hodlers, it's like you get this like sort of uh, sublimation of like 30 people who are, who, who get it, who somehow have this like really weird skill set. And, uh, and like, I'm on the edge. Like, I, I, I could be a shitty one of those. I don't think I could be a good one of those. So I choose, I, I sort of choose to, like, stay on the application side. Uh, and so, but, like, so I can kind of see into it a little bit. And it's, it's like, really, I think it's really in, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing that this sort of order, like, when you meet the core developers. I when you, like well, it, let me, let me finish. I feel like let I me, can let me name finish. the 20 off my head right now. Let me finish. When you, when you meet these core developers, like, they're, they're just, like, really impressive. And, uh. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting, like having worked at startups and, and companies and stuff, it's like when you meet the people at the top, they're often not impressive. And, uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, I don't want to like oversell the core developers, like there's flaws too, but, uh, but like they're, they're very yeah, impressive. I, I they're, know exactly where they're talking very about. expert. And people. you're talking about your, your prototypical startup founder who, yeah, it's like you meet this guy and, and he's XX a snake. To, yes. Exactly. Yeah. He's a snake. Uh, and so I think it's cool that, uh, like that's been a, that's been a thing. I don't like to like maybe use the word bullish, but it's like been like kind of a bullish thing where it's like, yeah, the, the deeper, 
I get into the development community, uh, like I remember at the breaking Bitcoin, I was like standing with a group of people uh, who were really sophisticated and it's like, I was listening to this conversation and it's like, man, uh, it's just like really, uh, like these guys are taking this really seriously and, uh, and they're really thinking through uh, what they're doing. And I, I, I think ever, like when I have these interactions, I'm like, okay, this is the right place to be. Well, and any of you freaks have been listening to Tales from the Crypt for the last two years will know that Matt Corallo is one of our first repeating guests. And he came on in November, October of 2017 and said Bitcoin has a 5% chance of succeeding. Mm-hmm. And Peter Wola is another dev like this. Like right now, like he was, I saw him getting into it with Neil Woodfine on Twitter about like... Yeah, this is an interesting point. I mean... Right, uh, so the, the interesting debates, like... Is Bitcoin more social and economics than it is technical, right? Yeah. And that is the question. I mean, that's one of the questions. It's like, do the... Uh, I don't want to judge anybody here. I'll just like say that... No, you're not question. judging anybody. Uh, it's like the question is like, do the core developers of Bitcoin, the people who are like the masters of the technology, like understand why it works? I think fundamentally that's what it is. And so it's like someone who comes from an economic point of view would say... I mean, it's like it's like the... Uh, like, and again, I'll come I'm, out and say what you're trying to say. Like, I've come out and say, like, yes, you. So, as somebody who has come from finance, jumped into tech and into tech in the most surface level, cursory way possible, um, like looking at Bitcoin, what is more important the the social the social aspect of it or the tech aspect of it, it's hard to say because the tech as- the tech aspect of it is sort of piecemeal technologies over time that have worked and mm-hmm. it's just a perfect combination of these technologies. And then the social aspect is something that I think may be way heavier. But what is the lowest barrier of technical capabilities that you need to have the system persist into perpetuity that is the question yeah i mean it's uh i mean i think it's reflected by the fact that many people get interested in bitcoin and then they, their interest persists for like a different reason it's like came for the blank stayed for the blank mm-hmm. i think it sort of reflects that it's like the uh I mean, in a sense these like uh developers like came for some reason probably like some sort of intellectual curiosity or something else, and maybe they stayed for a different reason. And you also see this by the people who left Bitcoin, like the Vitalik Buterin's of the world, right? Like he was like a great magazine writer, incredible like, writer, incredible, incredible writer. technical writer. Like yeah, he could describe. he's like Aaron Van Weerdum, like before that, I think. Like I wasn't around back. I'm class of 2018, so I don't know. But uh, but yeah, so it's like, and a large class of these people left, and uh, and I mean that's a big, yeah. I like I think Nick Carter had an, a good quote. Uh, tweet recently where he's like people think of uh like for example the, the the quote we started with earlier would sort of describe a bitcoin developer a core developer as like an idealist right like somebody who is who has these convictions that aren't don't necessarily rely, align with the real world but which uh are sort of like utopian in some sense and, and carter had this great point where he's like no these these people are like techno realists like they are they are very in touch with all the things that can and will go wrong and that's definitely my experience it's like every time i try to like push something like hey i want to do this on the application side it's like you're gonna get wrecked in xyz directions and it's like fuck 
Uh, but that's that's very much my opinion of my experience with them is they're realists. Well, this goes back to the sovereign individual. The ones that are left. The sovereign individual individual thesis is such that we are going to uh, transition into an age where there's so much information, there's so much noise and signal and fake news and literally information, literally bits and bytes to take in for each individual that it is going to be hard for each individual to discern on themselves, let alone the collective to discern on itself. And uh, yeah. that's what that book really preaches is being able to discern for yourself what is happening and sort of not, not a reclusion to the self, but a, a confirmation in the self and that, Hey, these are first principle uh, beliefs that I have and mm -hmm. I'm going to move outward from here. Like I can describe the world from these first principle beliefs and yeah, it's it gets crazy, man. Once once it all opens up to everything, and and you have like the Babel situation that we we're talking about earlier, like that is yeah. very possible in this internet connected age where people can get very confused. But I also think that's the beauty of it. People can either get very confused, or you can get have a very concise. That's why a standard of value thing. is important, right? Right. It's like exactly. A, stand, a standard of value is the thing that like jumps the Babel problem. Uh, uh, when everyone. When everyone has a way of like uh, bartering, yeah, at the end of, the day. of uh, of sort of squaring squaring their transactions and squaring their financial interests, that's really important. Uh, it's is this the basis for what we do as humans? Like, I think so. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a case to be made that like when you. So I gave this talk at. Uh, this is going to be my new passion project is I'm going to go to shitcoin uh, events and give maximalist speeches. I really like if, 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 if any of you freaks run a shitcoin event, please invite me. Uh, so I, I went to this, it was like a Texas blockchain conference or something. It was run by the U University of Texas. And so I, I gave, it was a blockchain conference, so I gave the talk like, what Bitcoin, the only blockchain that matters. And I walked through like a couple uh, uh, points about it. Like, you know, it's like there's two big ones is like, you know, because everyone's pitching these, like, you know, put corn on the blockchain and stuff. And it's like, there's two big problems. Like, one is, like, it's really hard to get information into a blockchain. Because you have to, tr like, if you, if, you, if you get information in, you trust who gave it to you. And you lose the trustless property, right? How do you enforce what a computer says in the physical world? And that's the other problem. It's enforcement. So, uh, it's the Oracle problem and the enforcement problem. Like, enforcement is, like... I got a blockchain. Marty, I got a blockchain. This is I own all of New York. It Could you please you don't vacate? Any of this Could you please vacate? Like, <laughs> I got a blockchain says I own this place. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter because uh, it, it's not enforceable. So, so yeah, that's, the, that's my new, that's, that's going to be my new gig is I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to these, uh, God, what were we talking about just before that? I had a reason for like bringing that up. You're going to meetups and I don't know. This is this is when this is when the podcast starts to end. I remember this happened last time. I didn't remember my trains of thought. We're two, two and, and a half, half hours in. We're two and a half hours in. Yeah. So uh, no, you're. What were you talking about? We're talking about like self uh, self realization. And then in the context of blockchains. Yeah, I forget what it was. <laughs> I had a really, like, a really good point to make at the end of this, but like, well, let me let me ramble right now, and uh, maybe you'll come up with your point. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's. <laughs> that was better than the first. That was way better than the first. No, this is. This is old TFTC right here. Like, this is what we like. I fucking love this right now. Justin's in town for 
five hours. I got a plane in three hours to go back. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Marty, you're going to like stroll me over here? I'm, I don't know. I will, I will get you to that airport no matter what. Don't worry. If you pass out, I will put you. We were we were together at JFK at a layover from uh, uh, from Riga Riga last it was year. Me, you, Jameson. That was like one of the biggest shit shows I've ever seen. Uh, getting through that, I was somehow able. I lied and I was able to get through the line. I uh, that's the last time I've gone around the world. Uh, I can't to, I can't travel. That's the other yeah. thing. Like I like to stay static here in New York. Like I just want to. Yeah, you got a good spot. I'm in like the opposite point of view where it's like Austin is cheaper. So it's like you can sort of, you have the leeway to go and travel more. So this is something I'd like to do more is like, it's fun when I can get in the same like physical location as somebody for a couple of days and like go and work with them. So if I continue doing this like education, like one thing, yeah, if I continue doing this education stuff, I'd love to like go and travel a little bit and like go and meet some of the people that work on Bitcoin and try to like pull some of the knowledge out. Because that's one of the problems in Bitcoin is like you have these people like, you know, Jonas, Jonas Nelly or uh, Matt Corolla who have like, just immense amounts of knowledge and one of the challenges is how to like uh, basically that. drain them right you want to like drain it out of them and uh, fill the rest of the community with it I recommend whiskey and beer <laughs> it helps I'm <laughs> telling you dude it helps believe it or not if you can believe it after this conversation I mean I, I believe it to some extent but when it comes to like certain topics I think it's a hindrance <laughs> like if I if I try to go make a windows build right now I'm pretty sure of my junction my sweet sweet junction it could hurt it could hurt yeah so where does junction end up like what is your so this is what i want what is your ideal vision of junction like what so there's can like i do two visions is like uh it's a question of where to put like one of the questions is like where should your multi-sig wallet run uh should it run on your desktop computer or should it actually run on your nodal uh like in a world like when you have to plug in your hardware wallet into the USB port, it probably has to be running on the desktop because you have to have actual access to that USB port. Uh, and a pro, I mean, so a program read running messages and send messages. Like. Yeah, like a program running on the desktop could do it to some extent, but you'd have to be using like Trezor.io, which is sketchy because they could be like check. They could be they can sort of oversee what you're doing. You'd have to use one of their web services, and so. Uh, so it's like on one hand, if you're going to be using like the USB port, actually plugging it in, you probably want it running desktop. But I don't want to run. I actually don't want to ever plug stuff into my well, my my computer. Uh, I would rather communicate with uh, QR codes. Honestly, uh, the QR code is the this is the way you'd set up a wallet and uh, junction. You'd say, hey, I want to do a three or five wallet, and I say, okay. Uh, you choose the network mainnet. You choose the it's a, you want native segwit. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and so then you have to add these devices to participate. And so the first device, you'd say like, hey, I'm going to add a QR wallet, right? And so it, it would open up the camera on your laptop and you'd scan uh, a public key from your uh, hardware wallet. Uh, and you'd have like a screen on the hardware wallet. Like BitBoy can kind of do this. BitBoy is a piece of shit, let's be honest. Uh, BitBoy is beautiful. But it's, 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 it's glorious too. Uh, and like Spectre, a, a product from Crypto Advance, uh, I'm really excited about this product when it releases 
Uh, it's really cool because it has the iPhone 4 screen. He's from Switzerland, right? No, he's from he's uh, he's 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 Russian. Russian. Stefan Snigarev. He's he's yes. he's one of the best. I met him in San Francisco. So I, I, I met him. Switzerland. I, I went to a a Bitcoin hackathon. Uh, the first thing I ever did in Bitcoin, I went to a, a break, building on Bitcoin conference, and the hackathon was before the conference. And so I show up, and I'm like, I sort of told this on Stefan Levers podcast. I like walked around and was like look, talking to people, and was like, hey, what are you doing? And everyone's like super introverted, right? And they're like, oh, you know, look at their toes, and I'm going to build a Chrome extension to like, you know, do whatever. Uh, and he's, and then I get to Stefan, he's like this Russian dude, and, and he's like got this lap full of hardware crazy blinky shit you know he's like i'm gonna build the first lightning hardware wallet and i'm like i'm working with you <laughs> i am working with you and we've been like great friends ever since uh and so he's he's working on a hardware wallet that's qr based and that's the way i would like to uh interact with it and if you had a hardware wallet like that and we're actually pretty close to this right so you could run you could run a junction you could run a multi-sig wallet if it was only cold cards, you could run it on your nodal. Uh, and the, you'd basically just visit a website, and the website would be like, hey, upload a file from your SD card. Either upload your public key to register the, app, the, the wallet, or upload a, a transaction to register a new signature. To sign all those. Yeah. yeah, to sign. And so like, that's a real air gap, and you could run that on your nodal, and it could just serve as a website, because you don't actually have to have uh, access to any physical ports on your computer, like, like a USB port. And so, uh, yeah, so that's a pretty interesting uh, uh, point. Like, if you could have, if Spectre launches, they're a QR-based one, and Cold well, Card already has it. Let's get into the QR-based. So Trezor, Q- wait, listen. Trezor T is going to have uh, an SD card reader. Like, you could do a three of five with three air gap devices, two of which use uh, SD cards, one of which uses QR codes, uh, and then, so those would be the three like active devices and you could just generate the last two, one with uh, dice and one with a seed picker or something and just put them on crypto steel or something and, uh, or just put them on paper. Uh, and those would be your final two signers. Those are your backups. And, and so like that, that would be kind of a cool way for junction to work is that it would just be something that runs on your nodal, your Casa, uh, HODL or Casa node or, uh, like my node, my node BTC is like a really cool project. Uh, new relatively new, right? Yeah, it's relatively new. I've looked at the code actually, uh, <laughs> and it's a pretty sleek interface, right? You can, uh, like it's plug and show. Yeah, he did a he did a good job on it. He did a good job on it, and uh, like it's sort of like the not all the cool. So the cool thing I like about pick it, what you want, right? the cool thing I like about it is it's freemium, so you can try it for free. And if you want, basically, to be able to connect remotely to your node, either via VPN or Tor, you pay, and that's a great model. You can try it, uh, and then if you like it, you can pay for a little more premium access. Uh, and so I think that's a cool, it's a different business model. Like most of the business models so far, like buy this box, right? And uh, in order to do buy this box, you, the firmware is kind of closed source. Uh, oftentimes. It's, it's all good in software in the future, right? Have yeah. You know huh? that? It's all good in software in the future. Like, yeah. So like with the, any I, hardware you want. Yeah. I think this is, this is, this is one of the interesting things is like you can have, uh, yeah, it's like a freemium thing. You can try it on your own hardware. If you want them to ship you one, you pay the full price. If you have a Raspberry Pi, like I have so many hard, hard, hard drives and Raspberry Pis sitting around. It's embarrassing. So I actually set up two of these last week. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think like, that's, that's a question It's like, where do you want your multi-sig 
Like the thing tracking your balance is where do you want that to live? Do you want like, yeah, I mean, it's a question like, do you, this is what I was getting back to earlier. Like, what the fuck does it mean to run a full node? Uh, does it mean that I have to have a separate index that I can query against like an Electrum server? Like the, the real reason is that like Bitcoin core can't look up an address that would be called an address index. It can't do that. Uh, and so you have this like separate protocol called like Electrum. And it's like, well, is that what it means to run a full node? Do I have to run that? Or like, can I talk directly? Am I sketched out if Bitcoin Core, like if someone got access to my Bitcoin Core, they'd be able to see every UTXO I own? Well, like that's the whole point of Bitcoin Core is that it can keep track of every UTXO I own. That's consensus. That's like, or that, not necessarily consensus, but that's like governance. That's like, that's the mechanism through which people are participating in governance. They care about what they own. And so this is the big question for me. It's like, what, uh, as an application developer, what does it mean to run a full node? What do I want the people, like, are they going to be running on a desktop? Or are they going to be need to run it? Like one, one case is like, you just do a one click, like Pierre Richard's node launcher. The other case is like, you need this massive software stack running like five different nodes and the user doesn't understand any of it. There are very different security models kind of. And so like, does redundancy based, like. It's a, I mean, it's confusing. Like I'm honestly like what, uh, kind of a little confused about it. And, uh, and so, yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to figure out, do I need the Electrum server? Do I not? Do you think the solution is more complex or more simple? I personally am a minimalist. So like, uh, for minimalism reasons, I don't like lightning. <laughs> like it just complicates my life. Uh, for minimalism reasons, I don't like multi-sig. Uh, but for uh, fear reasons, I like multi-sig. Like I, I want the, to be able to sleep at night. So it's like, I, I want to cut off all the chaff I can. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, so I think. Do you think we get to a future where signal sig uh, custodianship of these UTXOs will be, will afford enough uh, protection where we don't have to worry about multi-sig and shit like that? I mean, I, I think a, a different version of the world will be that multi-sig looks on chain the same as single sig. So Taproot gets us close to there. But like uh, you end up having to have an interactive protocol when uh, the number of signers does not equal the number of total keys, right? So if you say like uh, like two of three multi-sig, that right? That makes sense, though, right? Well, uh, it's a big it's a big problem. So interactive is a problem because it means like to do a, uh, I forget exactly the constraints in Taproot, but I think it basically means like to do a signature, you need to be online basically, and so you can't like do that in a bank vault, uh, and. I'm now at the point where I forget, like I'm not uh, speaking terribly accurately, but like this is uh, the, an interactive protocol is tough when you want to execute it in a bank vault where you're offline. And so I think this is like part of the way there. Like I think in the future, you'd, you'd get to a point where uh, everything looks like single sig. Uh, the on-chain costs, the on-chain data produced, it all looks like single sig, but there's actually like more complex policies uh, in the background. And maybe like the absolute degenerate case, meaning like if everything breaks down, you can have one person sign it, right? So it'd start off as like a three of five and then it'd go to like a two of three and then it'd go up one of one, like after time locks, right? So that one of one, what if it had to be a, like one N of one A to N? Who knows what it would be? Like that, that like last signature that you could sign. Yeah, that would one be one specific within the multisig or anybody. Like that would be well, probably not anybody. But like it, it just it really depends if it's an individual. If it's an individual, it can be anybody. If it's an institution, it cannot be anybody. Uh, the point is like I think in the future we'll have more of these cases where like by default it's like a sort of like a large multisig 
quorum. Uh, and like, if that degrades, you can have uh, backups that are less likely to fail. And that's the kind of the future I see where, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, I think the, the goal in Bitcoin is to make it so you can't lose the stuff. Uh, and like, that's like sort of, that's one, kind of one of the protocol goals is if you can compose like these scripts in a way that you can always have like backups, like a, a smart custo like a smart wallet could always have like backups. So if, if you fail here, you can always recover there. And, uh, and then, uh, in the applications, that's the protocol side. In the application side, you just want to make it really hard for one of those layers to fail. So it's like these two sort of have to go together. Like the protocol wants to make it so you can have backups, and the application makes has to make it and so like you don't have, need backups. They have both have completely different goals. Yeah, the completely different goals, but together they can be like, well, you get the best of both worlds if they sort of yeah. harmonize. Uh, so that's kind of like uh, the way I see it going is like, Hopefully you have this redundancy, but hopefully you have software that makes it so you never have to take advantage of that redundancy. Uh, like it just works. And so that's when it's like, like be your own bank is a burden. Like the way I look at it is like, man, I would like it if it were easier. Uh, it's hard. And so uh, I think ho hopefully the, con the, con the concert of these two, the combination of these two sort of like independent efforts can make it so that's that's easier. And that's a world where I can see Bitcoin being really mainstream, where like, it's not as scary. Like that's a cypherpunk future. Like when we were talking about like, whether we, whether we can or cannot uh, attain the cypherpunk aspect of Bitcoin's aspirations, uh, like where public, where private key security is easy, like that's a cypherpunk future where we do have that sovereignty. And that's something I'm really, I, I hope we can achieve that. So cypherpunk, uh, first financial second over financial first cypherpunk second. I mean, I don't know. I, I would I, go that way. I, I would go that way. Just I, I think so. I guess maybe I'd be on the opposite side. Like I think people only care. Like number go up is like the only reason people care. Well, so, well like to get, to get number go up. Involved. Number go up is uh, something we can't handle, right? Like number go up is either it does or it doesn't, and. Uh, whether it does or it doesn't is very consequential to uh, some people's uh, ability to believe whether or not Bitcoin is will be successful or not in the future. It's it's really tough because like people have sort of been trained to not care about Bitcoin's value propositions. It's like you've been trained to trust the state will take care of everything, or that your employer, even even like absent that, your employer will take care of everything. Like the people who work at Google are like, it's like a daycare. It's unbelievable. Oh, have you ever gone around their campus? It's their amazing. Campus. It's like it's not a workplace. It's a campus. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, it's like extended childhood in a sense. Uh, it's like they are your parents, and uh, and so it's like I think a lot of people have been trained to to have been uh, systematically desensitized to Bitcoin's value propositions, uh, which are like independence, self-sovereignty, uh, uh, critical thinking. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, it's like, it is a challenge to get people to respond to those things because I think they've been, there's been a systematic effort to make people, uh, not value those things. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that's one of the tough, like, that's one of the fun things about, like, I've worked mostly on the education side in terms of the technical side, like technical, like helping, helping people who already are interested in Bitcoin understand it better. 
And so if I continue on the education stuff, I would, it would be cool to start more, to work more on like helping people who don't understand, understand it. Like that would be, uh, exciting. More exciting than what you've done to date. I don't know if that's possible, Justin. I mean, like the biggest problem in Bitcoin, you want to onboard people. You want new people involved. Well, can you put that burden on yourself? That's the other question. Is uh, that burden on you or should you subject yourself to It's not a burden. It's fix? like, uh, how effective is exactly. any one strategy at exactly. it? How, how effective can one strategy how ephem- be? How effective or ephemeral will it be? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a big, I have no idea. Like, uh, I think, I, but I do think that the people who are effective at this are the most, I don't, maybe not the most important, but probably the most important. Like, if you can, if you can make the this pitch. The most high leverage? Who would be the most if, important people? If you can, if you can like, make this pitch to people like, hey, this is valuable, uh, this is something that you should engage in. I don't see what would be a more valuable role than that. I don't know if I can disagree. Either. So well, that's like, like that's, that comes in the whole like are we just not pretentious many ass, so, like who believes Bitcoin's the end all be? We may be wrong. Like imagine we that. We may be very wrong. Imagine that two years from now. We're, <laughs> we're most likely very, like if you're talking we're about in, like a we're in Jersey City licking our wounds. <sighs> the devils are gonna win it this year. I swear. Sound money. It had its moment. It had its moment, kids. We could have brought sound money into the world five years ago. The fucking fucking Jersey Devils ruined it. Justin. It's a problem. It's it's potential. Justin, I'm hammered right now. I'm hammered too, man. We have our table is a bunch of... Let me just narrate. This is a bunch of empty bottles. It's a ton of empty bottles. I got a I got a flight in two and a half hours, so I think I'm gonna have to Uber there. And uh... you're definitely gonna have to Uber there. We're gonna go upstairs. We're gonna get some pizza first. Oh, <laughs> that was better than the first. Um, this is where I want to end it. This is the last I'm gonna say. I love you, freaks. This has been uh, an incredible conversation. It's always a great. Like I didn't even have to do anything. Justin was like, yo. Can I come hang out? And it was like, uh, I'm going to hit record. Is that cool? And here we are. Hey, you ordered pizza. That's, uh, that's more than most people do. So. <laughs> Peace and love, freaks. I love all y'all. Take it easy. Give me it. Give me it. Give me what? <laughs>